and we are live. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen. Bienvenidos, señores y señores. This is the NAI Ball Podcast, a special Saturday postseason edition of the NAI Ball Podcast is when we are recording this. You will get this Monday morning on the dot is when this show will come out and be available to the masses, but we are recording this one a little bit differently than normal. It is our end of the year show, and I've already had Nick Patari message me that he was super sad uh, and depressed that it was the end of the year show because, Cody, man, it has been such a great season of NAI baseball. We are absolutely thrilled to have been here with y'all week in, week out, Every single week of the regular season, we were able to do a show. That's kudos to, to us because so often, Cody, you know, life gets in the way and we're not able to get all of that in in the season. Man, I am just absolutely thrilled that we were able to do a show every single week this season. Just what a year we've had. And it was a year with a lot of uncertainty. We will get to all of that in just a moment. We will get to Cody Butler in just a moment. Before that, I have to tell you, about the people who support this podcast, and that's Silverback Sports at Shop Silverback and ShopSilverback.com. Support the people who support this podcast, arm care and training essentials for individual and team use, durable and affordable products for you, whether it's just for yourself and you're using it in the backyard, you're using it during the summer, you've got it during summer ball, your summer ball team, doesn't matter, or your program. The New York Yankees buy from these guys. Okay. I mean, there are major league organizations buying from these guys. There are NAI, Division One, Division Two teams buying from Silverback Sports. And you know what? They support the podcast. So support the people who support NAI ball. So go give them a follow if you haven't done so already. Like all of their photos on Instagram. Check out their website. Check out their products. Do it right now while you're listening to the NAI ball podcast. That's shop silverback com and at shop silverback for socials they are an nai made program and we are thrilled to have them as the title sponsor of the nai ball podcast now with that we can bring in the foremost authority on nai baseball mr cody butler cody baby what's going on oh man i am thrilled to be here and i feel like i need to give some love to silverback sports too silverback sports the best in the business uh and if you use silverback religiously you're probably going to end up in Lewiston. Isn't that right, Robbie? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, yeah. You definitely will end up in Lewiston is what it looks like. Uh, quite a few programs uh, using Silverback Sports ended up in Lewiston, one of them more closely uh, related to Silverback Sports than the other. Absolutely so, man. You mentioned it already. Just the uncertainty of us not even knowing that we're going to get to finish a season this year. Are we going to get an opening round? Are we going to get a World Series? You know, is there going to be a game that gets forfeited because of a, a positive test? Luckily, none of that happened. Luckily, we were able to finish an opening round. We were able to finish a full tournament. So we had 18 games in Lewiston. I'm thrilled for getting a full season. I'm thrilled that we're going to get to do this show. Like you said, we didn't miss a single week. That is incredible for us. If you were with us in 2018, you were lucky to get to a month. And now you're getting four a month every single month. That's yeah, big time. Absolutely. Just to give you all an idea of what we've got in this show, we're going to give you a little World Series recap. We're going to talk a little bit about our own experience with the World Series, as well as what we thought was the best game of the World Series, and just the overall feeling for it. Cody, we're going to definitely talk to the national champion, head baseball coach at Georgia Gwinnett, Jeremy Sheetinger. 
will join us on the podcast. And then the part that everybody is going to be waiting for, we are going to announce our award finalists and our award winners for all of our NAI ball awards, as well as our all NAI ball teams. Those on social media, those graphics will go out throughout the week with some, with the first ones coming out on Monday. But if you listen to the podcast right now, you're going to know who the award winners are, who the finalists were ahead of everyone else. And then we'll just say our thank yous at the end of the show for that. So Cody, man, if you're ready, let's go ahead and jump right in to the world series recap. The national champion going five and zero is Georgia Gwinnett. It was a great tournament. Uh, it really, it came down man to the final net last two games. Central Methodist had to beat GGC twice, eight to four GGC wins the national title. GGC definitely felt comfortable throughout the way, even though there were some close scoring games, it just felt like they were in control. I mean, Georgia Gwinnett went out there, scored 52 runs. Their lowest output through five games was that eight runs in the national title. Uh, just offensively exploded. The bats just got it going. They had quality starts we'll get into. With Coach Schiedinger, just really good pitching. A uh, really impressive run. To not trail a single game after the third inning, that tournament's usually a gauntlet. You're usually going to have to run through it. And GGC, it should be noted, this isn't a team that went out there and padded it with nine and ten seeds. They beat the number one seed, Southeastern. They beat the number two seed, Central Methodist, twice. They beat the four seed and Oklahoma Wesleyan. And then their other win came against Faulkner, who even as a six seed, let's be honest, that's Faulkner. That's eight years from Rowan Lewiston. Yeah, their run, they went up against the best of the best in this field, and they just ran through it. Honestly, you got to tip your hat to them because it was an incredible week. Most definitely. And congratulations to Central Methodist on a fantastic season. That was a team, Cody, that I got to see early on in the year and, and definitely felt like they were going to do something special. And, and they they definitely did. And to get all the way to the national title. And we talked about in, in Twitter spaces many times where that program was compared to uh, where they, you know, started their journey a few years ago to where they are now. And the job that Nate Breland has done with that team is, has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, you mentioned it, Nick Merkel, Mason Schwellenbach, two potential All-Americans, two really, really, really good players. And then you have Sergio Macias, Logan Heron. I mean, there was a stretch, their first game uh, on Saturday night, they hit back-to-back-to-back home runs. I mean, that was just to kick off their World Series with back-to-back-to-back home runs against IUS. Uh, Really impressed with them. They could really hit it. They obviously had some dudes on the mound. Bo Atkins coming in here throwing heat. Dylan Brister giving us the sword celebration, doing his best Trevor Bauer. I mean... I was really – I'm going to remember the Central Methodist team. That's what I told Coach Breland. I texted him after the game, and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to remember this club. And you got Mason Schwellenbach, and you got Nick Merkel, and Logan Herring, and Sergio Macias. I mean, just some absolute dudes out there, some guys that are All-Americans on paper, but they were All-Americans out there on the field this year, and that's what led to them being the national runner-up. Can we agree that that May 29th, day two of the World Series, was the worst day of the World Series? I mean, they're, they're, the closest game was a five-run matchup between Kaiser and, and Oklahoma but, Wesleyan. Yeah, that was a horrible day of baseball that Saturday because there were just some absolute beatdowns. But every other day delivered. I mean, the Friday night game, uh, Lewis Clark State versus Faulkner, me and you were as hyped for that game as we've obviously been all season. And that we might have been more hyped for that game than we've been in our three years, four years doing this. I, I mean, because that was – it was absolutely electric. We were actually on mic meeting you together for most of that game. Uh, we were on mic on PSN. Just absolutely electric. And let's get into that. Talk to me a little bit about our guy, Antonio Frias. Oh, man. He, he How fantastic was he just throughout that game? And that's that's the part of the game that I love the most is that he was electric throughout the entire game. He went eight innings in that game, gave up six hits. He walked three people. There were runners on base for LC. 
It felt like they had opportunities. He hit two batters. So just right there, that's 11 guys plus an intentional walk, 12 guys that reached base at some point for LCSC. And he just shut them down. 13 strikeouts through eight innings. You know, he threw 131 pitches. July Sosa, excuse me, Julie Sosa came in, had an inning pitch, gave up one hit, struck out one, shut it down. But that game through and through was just electric because you look at Faulkner, put up three runs in the second inning, and then it was just zeros throughout until that eighth inning uh, where Faulkner was able to put a run up. But it was just nothing but zeros. And I love a good pitching matchup. And really, Cody, LC went straight to the bullpen. I mean, Eric Chavarria only threw an inning in two thirds. Then they went to Greg Blackman, who was a, a, just absolutely fantastic through five and a third innings with three hits, uh, struck out six, gave up just one earned run. I knew it was a really, really, really interesting matchup that they had there. It felt like it was Greg Blackman versus Antonio Frias more than anything. Yeah, and they were both dealing. So you got Frias in the first inning, uh, ended the inning on a strikeout. You see that a lot throughout that whole game. But uh, he punted, it was 94, just 94 from the left-hand side. You mentioned the intentional walk later in the game. The intentional walk was huge. So they intentionally walked Brock Yvon, who is an All-American caliber player. The NAI recognized him as an All-American. Intentionally walked him to get to Dylan Blue, the lefty, and it pays off. I mean, you sit there, you go lefty, lefty, and you get the strikeout. And that is what Frias did incredibly well the entire day is, that, yeah, there might be a guy that got to third base with one out. Yeah, there might be a guy that's on second with nobody out. But when you have the ability to miss bats the way Frias does, you can get out of any jam, and he did. He was electric. He was in a ton of jams. He was in a lot of big, high-leverage situations, which, to my opinion, despite it being game four of the series and 18 games total, that was the best game of the tournament to me. I mean, it was the best game of the tournament to me, hands down, because LC was always one hit away in a ballpark that's 385 to dead center. I mean, they one hit away from tying this game up, but Frias continually was able to get the strikeout, get the strikeout, uh, he worked Dylan Blue for three Ks that game, lefty-lefty. He was able to get Adrian Nagel, another good lefty for LC. He was able to punch him out in a big situation. I just think that was one of the biggest performances I've ever seen in a series. It really is. Because I don't know. That LC lineup, we give LC, you know, all that they can get for the auto bid, and they deserve it. But that LC lineup was super tough. And in that Friday game, like I watched Alex Huey, who was an All-American two years ago in 2019, he gives up a six spot. He can't even get an out. He did not even get an out against L.C. at Harrisville. They pulled him, and then L.C. goes on to beat Freed that day. And Freed, knowing that, hey, you're going to get their best, This was the big, that was the biggest crowd of the tournament by far, that Friday night game. And he just pitched an absolute gem. I was just blown away by his ability to compete. Every time he had to compete, they intentionally walked Brock Ethan. You get bases loaded. Man, you hit a guy. You miss on four pitches. That's a run. What did he do in four pitches? He missed high one time, but – Three straight pitches after that, man, he punched him out, and he let off the emotion. I don't know that another pitcher in this tournament could have handled that. Maybe a Nick Merkel, maybe a Mason Schwellenbach from Central Methodist. I don't know. But to do what he did, special. It, it was. It was special. And because it's like you said, so many high leverage instances. And I feel like there were a few games where we had those situations. I feel like uh, SCU, LCSC had some – but then things just took a turn. I feel like, uh, you know, maybe later in the tournament also, it was the uh, Faulkner, yes, the Faulkner Central Methodist game, you know, had that maybe Kaiser IU Southeast, but that was the only game where it felt like there were so 
many high leverage situations throughout the game where just felt like one swing of the bat and here we are. It was the best game of the tournament. I mean, I, I hate to say that because it was day one, but Cody, I mean, it felt more exciting than the eight to four national championship. And it I only did, say 100%. that because it felt like Gwinnett had it, it had it. It felt like Gwinnett was controlling it the whole time. That game was absolutely electric, like you said. And, you know, if that if Frias doesn't get a contract, I don't know who will at this level because his arm is absolutely electric. I mean, to sit there and throw 94 miles an hour from the left side with the changeup he has, he has the breaking pitch too. Just he's absolutely money. And for a tournament that was filled with so many runs, we got to see really good pitching in that first day. I, I do believe there are a few players that you want to highlight from the World Series. Yeah, I mean, just some guys that absolutely went off. I think Sergio Macias had an incredible tournament. He was named to the all-tournament team. I mean, the doubles he hit against Lewis Clark State put them in a national championship. Without those clutch doubles, I don't know that they make the national title game because they had an inning prior with the bases loaded against LC where they couldn't score. But when Sergio Macias came up, he delivered. He came up again later in the eighth. He delivered some Geico. Uh, I just thought he was outstanding. To have 11 hits... Uh, really special stuff. He actually got the save against Faulkner, too. You know, that had to be incredibly special for him coming from Faulkner to get the save against them in Lewiston. Uh, Sean Ross, talk about Sean Ross. Nine hits in the World Series, three home runs, all three of them being grown man home runs. I mean, just absolutely crushing them. I think Sean Ross was incredible. Nick Batari, he hit three home runs out in Lewiston. He homered in three straight games. Even the game, the end of their season, he homered in them. And I, I just thought he was really special. I just wanted to basically just point out some of those players that I saw out there that just really had really special weeks. For Lewis Clark State, Jack Johnson, I thought he was really good at the plate, and I thought out in left field, he was by far the best defensive left fielder I saw in the tournament, made some really good plays. Uh, this is a guy who's played out in Omaha, so I expected him to be ready for this moment, and he was. Shout out to those guys who who had really good years, especially Sean Ross, you know, the the Puerto Rican, and uh, Sergio Macias, you know, coming from from South Texas from the 956 uh, barely. We, we count Laredo. Laredo technically is a 956 area code also. So not part of the Valley, Cody, but you know, he is a South Texas kid. So, you know, congratulations to those guys on having great world series, yeah. man. So, I mean, just some of the pitchers had really good games. Now Trent Sellers for LC pitched a gym against Concordia also came in in relief and got a win too. So he went two and zero out there for the Warriors, obviously Hunter Dolander, who we're going to get into if you feel like we're not giving a ton of Gwinnett love right now, trust me, that's going to come later in the show. In the <laughs> like literally next. Yeah, it's literally coming up next. But Hunter Dolander went 2-0 and out there, pitched an absolute gem against Central Methodist in the championship game. Antonio Frias having the two huge wins, incredible for Faulkner. And then Nick Merkel. I feel like Nick Merkel's start, obviously he went 2-0 and as well, got the win against IUS. But his start against LC to me is where he made his money. So to say, like he just was really special. Give up the three-run home run to Brock Ethan in the first. Uh, kind of looked like he might have just hung a slider a little bit, and he crushed it out to center. But he was absolutely nails over the next seven innings. Went eight innings, pitched much better as the game went on. Uh, in the seventh inning, he punched out two, went slider away to Jack Johnson, fastball high uh, to Adrian Nagel, I want to say. And it was just really impressive. Like, he, his stuff was working. And to me, he's a bona fide All-American. And I just thought that uh, Nick Merkel pitched really well. Congratulations to all those guys on just some absolutely fantastic performances during the World Series. There were some really good hitting performances. It was an offensive World Series, but at the same time, man, when those pitching performances happened, they stood out and they were big time. So congratulations to those guys. Cody, let's get into our interview. We sit down for a fantastic conversation with the man himself, the head baseball coach at Georgia Gwinnett College. Ladies and gentlemen, 
joining us on the NAI Ball podcast for a fantastic interview, something we think you'll definitely enjoy, is Jeremy Sheetinger. Joining us now on the NAI Ball podcast all the way from Lawrenceville, Georgia, just happens to be in the same town as Cody Butler, the 2021 head baseball coach of the national champion Georgia Gwinnett Grizzlies. Joining us is the head man himself, Coach Jeremy Sheetinger. Coach, what's going on? Bienvenidos, amigos. Be here with you. Um, I just fired up, man, and I, I just, I'll get up this out of the way. On behalf of all the, the fans and players and coaches and everyone associated with our level, it, it can't go uh, unsaid enough how important you guys are and the work that you've done. And so I'm just – I'm honored to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to a great combo. Coach, we're super excited to have you on with us. This is the first time we've done this uh, where we – well, this is the second time we've done this. This is the first time I don't expect my computer to crash. I was We were talking sure. about a few years ago we – interviewed adrian dinkle after he won a national title and then right after the interview my entire computer crashed we lost the entire interview i might i basically had a brick after that so you know i'm hoping that you'll bring us a little bit better luck on on that end so we're super excited to have you on here i appreciate it fingers crossed things go extremely well for us <laughs> you know i i kind of want to get started at this point here in your second season you take the grizzlies to Lewiston. I mean, it's the pinnacle of NAI baseball. It is the final stop. It is everything. I mean, Harris Field is an incredible environment. I mean, we, we all know that. Cody knows that. I know that. We've both been there. We all three of us have been there. You have been there for the first time in a coach's capacity, but in the past, in another capacity, take me through what it was like this time to be in a dugout. Well, and I, I made a joke to a couple guys that were asking me about that when we were there. I think I looked better in baseball pants than I ever did in khaki shorts out there at Harris Field. So, I'm going to take that as a win. Um, yeah, I, I went out with ABCA for four years and just tried to help serve within the games committee and help those guys out and then more, you know, support the member coaches that we had there at the World Series. I'll tell you what was really cool, man, is is being able to go out there and um, I, I just wasn't flustered by the the pomp and circumstance of it all. Like I, I just I'd been there, I'd seen it through the eyes of a coach. Um, I kind of knew if I were to bring a team out, how I would try to handle the schedule and I would handle practice and, and those type of things just to manage all those expectations that come with being there on site. And so I stored that away, you know, and, and knew that potentially if I got back, I'd have the opportunity to, to bring some of that to light. But I'd say the best part, you know, I, and, and if there was a moment that I felt a few butterflies and it just was a matter of getting them to kind of circle in the right direction, it was that first time walking into the dugout knowing that I'd be standing on that top step coaching a game. I'd been in that dugout before and I'd sh you know, shook hands and bro hugged and did all that stuff. But to stand there on the top step and, and manage a game to me was, was really cool. Cause I, you know, I'm like you guys, man, I'm a college baseball nerd in a lot of ways. And so I just have seen so many players and teams and championships and moments and, and, knew that that field and you could kind of put your hand down above the grass and you could feel the energy that had been you know invested into that surface for so many years um that part really got me but once you kind of settle in you just hey it's it's just another ball game it's just in a really cool facility well coach let's talk about another really cool facility really quickly i want to talk to you about going out to california 
and playing in a regional in California. First time in program history, Georgia's got to fly and play in a regional away from home. I guess yeah. talk to about that experience, getting to play in California, battling a little bit of adversity, facing one of the better pitchers in the country in Fuentes, and just getting to that trip to Lewiston. Well, the really cool part is, you know, due to COVID, um, our budget got slashed pretty good, so much so that I had to cancel a few of our weekend away trips. And uh, it forced us to play a lot of games at home, which was good in a lot of ways, you know, managing COVID and scheduling and and uh, our guys and their daily routines. That part was good. But the regional was the first time as a team we had to book and stay in hotel rooms together. And that, as many coaches will tell you, that's where you start to form a bond. That's when, you know, friendships and 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 true brotherhood begins in those hotel rooms and on those buses and vans. And we hadn't had that all year. And I felt like we were a, a pretty tight-knit group. But the the best thing that ever happened to this team, and I've said this a few times, was when they did not let us host a regional. And for whatever reason, and to me, it doesn't matter. It was the fact that they put something almost like a, if you can imagine like the chip that people talk with a chip on your shoulder, they fed us that chip. And I helped our guys eat from that plate every single day, because honestly, it did feel a little disrespectful. It did feel like we got slighted a little bit. It, 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 and we just played on that. And our guys started to understand that maybe they don't think as highly as you, as we think, you know, we have a, a good team inside these walls and we just started to let that fester and build upon and, by the time we got to California, man, we were a pretty, um, let's just say, venomous group, man. We really had a lot of fire underneath us. We had a lot of folks we wanted to to prove, hey, we are legitimate. This will be the the first time I heard this comment made. Can they win a regional away from their home field? I mean, all those things were bulletin board material for us that our guys fed upon. And then more than that, it was, hey, let's let's get out here on this stage. Let's take a really cool trip to gorgeous Santa Barbara. Let's play some really great teams, which, by the way, our offense is a is a blend of West Coast and East Coast. Let's bring that style of play to a West Coast uh, environment and regional, and let's see if we can pull this thing off. And it just kind of obviously rolled downhill from that point. What was that like this year going into the season, not knowing what to expect? I mean, there were so many points in the year where Cody and I were like, are we going to have a season? Are we going to start on time? How much of, of is COVID going to impact our season? I mean, what was that like having to travel, especially the amount of travel that y'all had to do? Obviously, the CDC has come out and said some different things lately for, for vaccinated people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't think there's a team in the country that's got like a 100% vaccination rate, let alone Major League Baseball. No. So what was that like this year navigating those waters? Well, I'll tell you what, the fall, and, and uh, we've talked about this inside our our group, I, I know as a head coach, I did not manage the fall very well at all. I felt like I... I got wrapped up in everything else, which is, you know, hopefully excusable, but it's, you know, you got to wear masks. You got to stay six feet apart. We got to be conscious of groups. You know, you're worried about someone driving over the hill and snapping a picture of two guys standing beside each other at the turtle. Like it was all these stressors that actually pushed us further away from the baseball and from the development. And I just didn't think we, you know, myself included, we just did not manage the fall as well as we could. Coming into the spring, I think it was just a a lot of, you know, our guys had kind of gotten used to the language and the mask and those things. But as you mentioned, now you're playing games and now it's on video. Now there's umpires. And how are we going to manage all this? Do do I really have to wear my mask out to home plate, although we're outside? Do I have to wear it at third base? Does my player, you know, playing short, does he have to have his? It's all these things that no one really knew. And at the same time, 
we did a great job and the other teams that we were playing did a great job of managing it apparently because we didn't get a coveted out game until you know into april and so that was a win in itself the fact that our schedule sort of you know continued to kind of walk into place the way that we had, had drawn it up but i know it was tough i mean it was it was just stressful i think i think we as coaches and i think most coaches listening to this would agree I don't know if we can give our players enough credit for number one dealing with those things. I mean, they're the ones in the hunt. I mean, it's easy for me from where I stand, but the guy on the field that's got to be conscious of this and certainly who they are off campus and away from the field. And those things are much different than they are from a coach's perspective. And so I feel like our players did a great job of managing those things and trying to keep the main goal, you know, the main thing. So if, if that's where we want to go, we don't want to get pulled off the field. You have to live a different life. You can't be as free and easy and outgoing as maybe you would be. You probably need to spend more time at home. You need to be conscious of, of what you eat, who you eat with, and who you spend time with. I think there was just a lot of those things that our guys dealt with that uh, Robbie probably gave all of us a little under-the-skin stress. And uh, to manage all that, I mean, I give kudos to every team that – that made it towards the end of the year, even at the world series, you know, we're doing testing every 48 hours. And we laughed about this. This was kind of like our, our program joke. Every time we passed a test, it was a win. So I think we won five on the field, but we won four others at the COVID testing. So we were nine and zero when we left Lewiston that we didn't have one positive test, but that's the way you had to look at it. Cause you were holding your breath till you got results. It was just a totally different environment to coach with them for sure. Special year. I mean, special year. And I definitely navigated it incredibly well. Now, Coach, let's talk about some of the damage you were doing on the field. And I want to talk about just the offensive numbers y'all put up and mainly the power explosion in the postseason. So I got it here. You hit 12 home runs in the opening round. You had nine in Lewiston, 21 home runs in the national tournament. I mean, you're a team that had 60 on the season through 50 games. You put up 21 home runs in your next 10. I mean, just talk to us about that. Well, as you know, Cody, and, and those that have played in Lawrenceville, you know, our our park is definitely pitcher friendly. and um, it's a traditional setup. It's just it's got bigger gaps, and obviously it's 400 to center. And um, we never walked into this. And, and, and our first offensive meeting, we talked about we could lead the country in three categories, doubles, triples, and stolen bases. Those are where we're going to invest our time. We're not going to try to be a home run hitting team because we play a lot of games at home. I think the cool piece, as you and I were talking before we hit record, was if you look at some of our guys and they've got you know big double numbers, Griffin Keller, for instance, Livingston Morris, Nick Barnes, I mean, those guys have tremendous power. And if they play for any other program at any other ballpark, they are legit 25. And I think Griffin could have been a 35 to 40 home run kind of guy in a different ballpark because our ballpark plays so big. But that's where the double numbers come from. And obviously triples, we were up there for a while. I think we finished second in that. And I think you just look at um, our guys stayed consistent with their approach. And that was something we tried to bake into our offensive group early on is it's not – you do not fluctuate with where you play. You stay true to who you are. You know that when you take that approach into, let's say, a ballpark like Westmont or obviously Harris Field, which is obviously what we're grooming for – we didn't try to hit home runs. We just tried to hit balls really hard. And that's the approach we've taken from minute one is let's let's focus on getting our best barrel off. Let's get our best swing off with juice. And let's, again, lead the country in doubles. Let's let it fall, run the bases. We'll steal third, and we'll score you from third base. 
that's been our approach all along. And then to carry it over to fields that were, you know, had opportunities for the ball to leave the yard, that's where all that shows up. But I'll tell you, we didn't change a thing, man. It wasn't a point of emphasis. It was stay true to who you are, stay consistent, and watch the ball take care of itself. And that, that's where all that comes from. If you haven't guessed it by now, 2021 national champion head baseball coach at Georgia Gwinnett, Jeremy Sheetinger, is with us. Sheetinger, Sheetinger, coach. At some point, I'm going to get that right. It's because I'm Hispanic, and I want to turn that G into a J. Well, remember uh, that I've been called worse. I do have an ex-wife, okay? So you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, coach, I, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about the World Series because if yeah. you look at the results, you're going to see 9-6 to six against Oklahoma Wesleyan. You're going to see – 11 to 7 against Southeastern, 9 3 the first time against Central Methodist, and 15 10 against Faulkner, 8 4 against Central Methodist again. And on paper, those scores look and feel close, but they did not feel close for somebody watching at home. I can tell you that. What did it feel like for y'all in playing those games? Because those scores are, you know, three runs, four runs here or there, but a lot of times it felt like the game was secured. Well, I think the the biggest piece is anyone that's been through that gauntlet uh, in Lewiston is, man, you, you got to have pitching and you got to hold pitching and you got to do what you can when you can to make sure your arms are fresh for when you really, really need them. So number one is we got five quality starts from our starting pitching and you just go through it, man, whatever it ends up being, seven and two thirds, eight and a third eight and two thirds, you just line those, those starts out and our starting pitching did exactly what they were supposed to do. And I think more than that, it gave our offense a chance, especially when those guys were hanging zeros for the majority of those games, it gave our offense a chance to do what we do, which is, you know, create some separation and force some pressure upon some teams and watch it kind of tip over in favor of the Grizzlies. And that, that was kind of our approach is if we could hang zeros, man, our offense is going to do what it's going to do and we'll create separation on the scoreboard. And then you get into situations and a few of those where, look, we needed to throw a back-end kind of bullpen guy um, and no disrespect to anyone on our on our pitching staff, but we all knew we needed to save guys like Hunter Caudell and obviously as many times as we could, even though we had to go through him twice, Gage Williams. We needed to hold some of those guys to have them fresh for when we really needed them, you know, back into later part of the series. And so we just, you know, we're comfortable and luckily we had enough of a lead in most of those scenarios to give up a few runs. And the toughest thing to do, and this is what we talked with our team about, especially after game one, the toughest thing to do in a championship environment is get those last three outs. It just, you're facing a good team. If they score a couple runs, now they've got momentum and you have to bear down and work through how you're going to continue to stay in your approach on the mound, how you're going to play good defense and go get the baseball when you need to and go get those last three outs. And so there wasn't a moment in, in any of those scenarios, and we talked about them earlier. There's moments with second and third and one out, and the tying runs at the plate or in the on-deck circle that we ever felt, you know, that, hey, man, this game's getting ready to tip over. We felt like we were in control. We knew what our plan was, and we trusted our guys that they were going to follow through and find that, that third out. Um, but all it did was set us up to where at the end of the series, we had our best arms healthy, ready to rock. We left three guys, I think three or four guys that didn't even pitch in the World Series that we still had, you know, some ammo to go to if we needed it. But it goes back to quality starts, man. When you do those things, it kind of sets you up. And, um, yeah, the scores are the scores, man. Wins are wins. At the end of the year, ugly wins still count the same. They all end up on the left side of that scoreboard, and we'll take them. 
Coach, let's talk about some of those pitchers, all right? Hunter Dolander obviously gave you two wins. Pitch to Jim. We'll save the Friday, the Thursday national championship for a minute. Yeah. But opening up against Oklahoma Wesleyan, pitches a gem, pitches late into the game, uh, flirts with a complete game, I want to say, flirts yeah. with a complete game. Yeah, gets yeah. pulled out late there. And then combine that, I guess, with McKillican, because I want to go through these first two games first. McKillican, absolutely outstanding against Southeastern. Pitches a gem. We were talking about the velo, running the velo, upper mid-90s. Just incredible stuff. Talk about those first two games from a pitching standpoint. Yeah, those were two of – you know, we had a lot of those throughout this year, especially at the end. But those were two of the best starts I'd seen out of those two guys up until that point. You know, uh, Dollander's Dollander, the llama. Uh, man, you talk about a dude that you toss a ball to as a coach and you just, I'm telling you, you sleep easy the night because you know what you're going to get. And he's a guy that is so in control and so centered that he can manage a little scratch. And in both games, he gets scratched early. And it, it just never bothers him. He knows where he kind of fell off track. He knows how to get back on it. He knows how to pound the zone. He can obviously dip into a reservoir of experience that most other guys don't have. Um, but that start to kick things off, you know, we knew, as we talked about, winning that Friday game is gigantic to move to Monday. But more than that, if you win that Friday start, that's the guy that can come back and pitch on Thursday. So we wanted to set him up for success to, to pitch twice in the series and did a phenomenal job. Just couldn't get that, you know, that ball rolling there in the ninth. We want to give him the opportunity to close it out. <clears throat> McKillican, you know, is, came to us at break from UBC when they uh, decided not to play, tried to find his way within our program. He was coming off of Tommy John. So we needed to nurture his arm and his health as he got going. So he started off as a closer. You can tell by his tempo. That's not who he is. He is a starter by trade. And it just started to click mid-season and kind of rolled and had a great start in our regional. And obviously, we got to that Southeastern game, and it just made sense. I felt like he he matched up really well with their offense, and he was able to stick to his plan and, and create some success. But you just go back to, man, the ease at which those guys stayed centered. And, and you guys know where I'm at on mindfulness training and meditation. And, and I felt like at the end, we were one of the most mentally tough groups that I've ever spent time with. But it was because of the daily investment that these guys made into their own success that it doesn't matter that I just gave up a double. I can come back and throw this pitch with conviction and not worry about the double, not worry about the scoreboard. And those two are prime examples of guys that bought into that and obviously let it let it filter through their play. And the next two guys I want to talk to you about, because we're going to stick with the pitching theme here because you brought up how really successful it is. And I feel it's going to get a little overshadowed with the offense. It's going sure. to be just because of how good the offense was. But let's go with Tyler Clayton. Obviously, probably, you know, I've watched a lot of GGC baseball. Two biggest freshman pitching performances back-to-back in school history. I don't think you can even argue it. I mean, what he did out there against Hope International going CG and then delivering the start in the 2-0 game. You win the 2-0 game, you're in the driver's seat to win the yeah. tournament. And yeah. he did absolutely. He was just nails. And then also comment on Wednesday, Kevin Kyle, really good performance against Faulkner. Because like you mentioned, his ability to eat up innings pitched deep into that game was incredible. I mean, it saved a lot of arms for you. You didn't have to use Caudell. You didn't have to use a Gage Williams again. I mean, just talk to about the performances from Clayton and Kevin Kyle. If I had a dollar for every goosebump you guys have given me so far, just reliving some of the stuff. But uh, TC, you know, you, you talk about a, a, a freshman performance and, and easily two of the best. When we got done with Santa Barbara, that was the comment we we made to the team. That will go down as one of the best pitching performances in our program's you know young history, Tyler. Like to watch him do what he did against Hope, which is a, a scary offense, man. You talk about some 
some really good players over there. But it was his way of of you know trusting his stuff. I mean, he he does not have electric stuff. He's not gonna wow a, a tire stands full of scouts. But man, what he has is exactly what we all want out of every pitcher we ever give the ball to, dude. That guy has guts, for lack of a better way of saying it. And that dude wanted the baseball. He wanted to stay in the game. Quick story, we're at the end of that game at Hope, and we get a couple guys on base, and they get a couple base hits, and I think the tying run was at the plate, and we're getting ready to go make a change, and he looks over at us and goes, nah, I got it, and waves us back. And we got two outs, and hey, we can bring in our closer, and we can shut this whole thing down. No, I got it. And that was one of those moments where we, you know, Steve looks at me and I look at him and I said, look, if we talk about trusting our players and we really want to live it and this guy wants the baseball, then I'm going to go down with trusting our player. And Tyler Clayton wants the ball because he thinks he can get the nine hole hitter out. Let's give it to him. And of course gets the ground ball and we get the force at second. It was the same way in the series, man, like to set us up, he knew the importance of that game. And we, we didn't shy away from having those conversations with our guys. Like, this is how the tournament goes. This is a hinge game for us. You win this one. You Like you said, you're in the driver's seat. And to hand the ball to him, dude, he carried that momentum and that confidence from Santa Barbara, and he carried it right into Lewiston. And it was the same stuff, man, just the ability to keep guys off balance, the ability to, to get weak contact. I think that's kind of like his, his hidden ability is to get weak contact. I mean, his stuff doesn't wow you, but – Man, he knows how to pitch, and he can expand the zone. He can obviously expand the plate, uh, can pitch down, can pitch up. But, man, he's just got something inside of him, man. He's got some savviness and some maturity well beyond his years. Um, Kevin Kyle, you know, the really cool thing about his start was he knew exactly what role he played in this whole thing to set us up for Thursday. So it was one of those, hey, give me the ball, and I, and I, hopefully I can hold on to it as long as I can. Well, his pitch count, you know, got up there, and there was a couple moments like, hey, man, are, are we okay with this? And to ask him as he came off the mound, coach, keep the ball in my hand. I'm doing this for the staff. I mean, you, I mean, those are special things that just come out of a run like that, but he knew exactly what he was doing. And Faulkner is a, a, a very potent offense, and they can strike at any time. And to hang those zeros and, again, weather some of those scars and – get scratched a little bit, but just to continue to compete and stay in the moment and and work pitch to pitch and create some some depth within that game to, again, free up uh, the back end of our bullpen. Those guys and our staff, and obviously credit goes a lot to, to Coach Les and the guys that are on the mound, they understood the, re- the role that they were going to play in this World Series run. If you let our offense breathe, if you let them do what they do, we'll create separation. We need you to hang zeros. And against good offenses, know that you're going to get scratched, but the ability to come back and get to the next pitch and get to the next inning and let our defense play, like I told you before, our defense was playing at a level we hadn't seen. They were just unconscious defensively. Let us do what we do, and you just focus on what you can control, and that, that's that's how it really played out in, in person. Coach, I, I really want to talk about the explosiveness of a couple of guys. I mean, I feel like Griffin Keller, who hit 469 this year, 18 home runs, 89 RBIs. He had a really good player in game, Hal, that hit 373. He had Livingston Morris. I mean, just so many players on this offense that were so explosive. Talk about what goes into this offense on a daily basis, and then at the same time, how special some of these players are. Yeah, the, the people. The people make it special. I mean, you, you every great hitting coach has great hitters. You just you, you can only shine uh, – uh, less than average hitters for so long. But when you have really good offensive players, 
you kind of find ways to let them be who they are, but you know, within our program, within our, our structure, they, they fit perfectly. So a lot of, you know, winning late in the year is, is about the puzzle pieces, man. They all have to kind of fit and they have to mold together in the right way. So one thing offensively is, as I talked about earlier, that, that we think, you know, we run our show here is we talk about a triple B offense, barrels, bases, and bunts, and all three play a role in how we score runs. I firmly believe this. It's hard to kind of dip and take all your chips and throw them in this one bucket. And for instance, a lot of teams throw that those chips in three run home runs and they happen and no doubt about it. And certainly if you swing for them, there's a greater likelihood they'll happen. But at the same time, when you face a dragon on the mound, when you face a real ace, when you face a, a quality arm, you're just not going to hit that many three run home runs. And so I've always watched these really good teams get to late in the year and they get stifled a little bit because they face something that keeps them off balance and keeps them from executing that plan teams that dump their chips in nothing but you know hey we run a lot well that's great every once in a while you got to hit a double so you just got to have a a way to balance that out you can be a great base running team but you got to have ways at the plate to manufacture runs and then of course you know the short game pressure you know you you can't just be a short game team it's again at some point you got to hit a a three-run home run or a two-run double so we wanted to be a mix of all those things and we train that way and we talk that way and you know, certainly Griffin Keller doesn't like bunning practice and Livingston Morris doesn't like bunning practice. And I've never asked Livy, uh, Griff or Gabe Howell to ever bunt in a situation, but they train the exact same way because they understand the element that it plays into our offense and how we move guys and once again, create pressure and, and ultimately score runs. That's the focus of what we do. And I think, you know, when you go back to uh, the barrel piece and, and, getting good hitters in your lineup is step number one. And then number two, I think giving them freedom to get their best swing off. So we, we certainly only get upset at guys when they get away from who they are. And so our conversations with Griffin or Livingston or Gabe or, you know, core Johnson or Nick Barnes or chase Evans, they only get tense when I, or we see them get away from who they are if they force weak contact, if they swing with some timid in their heart, if they don't jump on their pitch, if they don't, you know, again, they miss their pitch repeatedly. When those things start to happen, that means we're getting further away from confidence and we're getting more towards the, you know, they got to trust who they are in those moments. The barrel piece plays. The bases is just a way for us to to never the intent to lead the country in stolen bases. It's really about being the best team that can go first to third and score from second. I think our reads off the bat are as good as anybody, but we also work on it every single day. So you watch our group on the bases and, and look at all the forced box that happened within the World Series. Look at the, the situations where we had guys focused on what we were trying to do on the bases. And once we pull your attention over to first or second, you forgot about that Livingston Morris is at the plate and you're going to have to throw him a fastball at some point. And that's the piece that that plays. And then the, the short game, you know, it's only for certain guys. But it's in critical moments. Austin Bates being a guy, Kyle Harvey being a guy, Miles McKissick, those guys using the short game to create pressure, to score runs. Um, Kyle Harvey, Chase Evans had one in the regional. Kyle Harvey had another where they just saw the defense crash and they just popped the ball up over the pitcher, over the second base, and just create that base hit that moves guys up from first to second to second, third, or even scores a run in first to third situations. It's just a way to kind of find different ways to score runs so that your offense never runs dry. And I think too often offensive coaches get 
sort of island approach and they find this one thing that their team does really well but does that score against every pitcher that you're going to face and so one thing we've done from minute one is help our guys understand the variety of pitchers that they're going to see and so you got to know how to score off a submarine guy the same way you got to score off a guy that's a fastball only the same way you got to score off a guy that's off speed and slider only and you got to train that way and that was like the culmination of our guys putting in the work and they put in the work to get themselves to a place where you know we were able to score runs against a variety of arms and it just it had a, a way of showing its, uh, itself there in the world series uh talking about a guy like austin bates i think putting austin bates you lose jake defries who i think was an incredible yeah. asset a guy that honestly would have shown out in the postseason really talented player yeah, and then so you put Austin Bates at the leadoff, which is obviously great. You know, a catcher in the NAI at the leadoff spot. Austin <laughs> Bates is a four twenty hitter. You get a catcher on at that much. You got Miles Smith running for him. Right. Obviously, that's a dangerous weapon. And Kyle Harvey had an incredible World Series too, multiple hit games in three sure games. Is. is he like the best bunter in NAI baseball history? Because he is a really good bunter. He's got to be. Austin Bates is right behind him. I mean, those two at any point. And sometimes I have to coax them into bunting because they're hitters, man. I mean, you know, every hitter wants to hit. And both those guys were seeing it well at the series. But there were a couple moments where I felt like, and they felt like, and they understood exactly why, that, hey, this is a great way when you see a third baseman back up in the left field, when you see a scenario where, you know, we could run, but your 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 short game will, will do the job. All those things, I think those two knew that was part of who they are. And it's, it's, you know, I said this last year, Kyle Harvey a year ago hits 360, but man, I bet he had 12 or 13 bunt base hits because he was able to recognize the defense and know, hey, if I just put this down, it's a base hit. Now, I know everyone on social media is going to say, what are you doing? Never do that. Well, we don't sack bunt. We don't bunt into outs. We bunt for base hits. And that's the difference. So no sack bunts. I'm with you. I hear you. But bunt because you've got to recognize that certain cornered infielders can't handle bunt pressure. Sometimes they back up because they expect guys to swing. And then more than that, it's a great way to turn an inning over. So like Livingston could hit a, a, a two-run double and he's at second base, or sometimes he gets marooned out there at first base. Well, he's not a guy we generally give a lot of green light or steals to, but man, Kyle Harvey can drop a drag button down and do exactly what we want to do is move him up to second base. But Kyle Harvey can place the baseball, and he'll be safe at first. Now it's first and second with Nick Barnes at the plate. Now I don't know how many times that scenario turned itself over, especially in Santa Barbara, but those two just knew where that played a role in our offense. And once again, it's not relying on everyone to have that in their back pocket, but it is understanding that all those things factor in to the right side of the scoreboard, you know, tallying up and, and crooked numbers following it. That matters to us. 100%. Because like you said, you get a guy like Bates on, Griffin Keller, that's a two-run home run. You get yes. a guy like Kyle Harvey on, you saw it in Santa Barbara, like you said, Nick Barnes, boom, two-run yep. home run. Yep. Yeah, the offense was just incredible. Honestly, I this is just me and you, like me fanboy in here. Chase Evans, really impressed with him. Really Man. impressed with him as a hitter. I think there were so many moments where I was like watching him against Hope International, and they were throwing him off speed, and he would just spit on it, and he would get the pitch he wants, and mm -hmm. then he would hit it. And I was really impressed with him. The home run he hit in Lewiston, my goodness, <laughs> hit it over the scoreboard. So here, here's here's two, and I'm gonna talk about Chase, and let me talk about Miles Smith. So Chase, for instance, and and you 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 guys have seen this all come to fruition. Like Chase was a guy I didn't know how he factored into our team. I knew he was a good left-handed hitter, but you know he's honestly like a man without a position. He was a catcher. 
He worked his tail off to be a good catcher. I didn't feel like he won the the backup job to Bates. And by the way, if you're backing up Austin Bates and Dylan Smith figured this out, it's going to be tough to get on the field because Austin Bates, man, he's a catalyst in every single way, back picks and controlling the running game and then what he does offensively. So about two months ago, Chase is like, Coach, I mean, how am I going to get on the field? I was like, you got Livingston, he's our DH. And I said, man, you need to go try to play first base. And I said, if that's the one thing, if you can bring that piece, because we were hunting for a first baseman, that can open up an opportunity for you to be in the lineup every day. And he went out to his credit and worked his tail off every day to understand our bunt defenses, our picks, our ability to, to handle the baseball, certainly picks in the dirt. And he gave himself the chance to do that. And I, we talked about this from minute one. When Chase Evans was in our lineup, and you guys, who he is on social media is exactly who he is with our team. He is the energy bug that drives this team. So when he got in the game, and it's, it's mind-blowing to me the level of confidence that he has. This is a guy that hits a double, and with his speed, he is the next pitch thinking about stealing third, and he did so in the World Series. And you're going, Chase, you're not even fast. That's the level of confidence. But he also knows double's great, Coach, but if they see me still third, there's no way we don't score this run. That's who Chase Evans is. He had to be in the lineup somehow, some way. And then you talked about Miles Smith a minute ago. You talk about a guy that maybe more than anyone else wants to crack the lineup. But guess what? You got Griffin Keller, Nick Barnes, and Cord Johnson in front of you. It's going to be tough to get in the lineup. What he decided, and it took you know, a journey to get to that point, but he had to trust the decision to keep him in that role as the, the speed-up runner. So his biggest fan, you know, Austin Bates, was Miles Smith. The minute Austin gets on, Miles gets to go do what he does, which was almost lead the country in stolen bases, be that true catalyst guy offensively to create pressure and make guys play catch and those things. Like all those pieces have to fit together to create a championship moment. And that's what we had. We had a selfless group. We had a the, probably the most, most close-knit group of guys I've ever been around. You talk about a – 10-year, 20, 30-year reunion type group, this is the group that you want to hang out with. And I think more than that, I think the game favors the tough. And our guys, you know, from a certain moment in our season decided we were going to be the toughest team in the ballpark every day we showed up. And I think the game tipped our favor. Coach, walk me through the national championship game. Maybe some of the jitters leading up to the, you know, up to the game, up until that final out, that final moment where your team is crowned national champions and y'all win that ball game. Well, I'll, I'll I'll walk back a step. I really didn't have jitters, and I know that I'm not trying to sound cliche by any stretch, but I've really worked hard in my faith, and and certainly I'm the most imperfect person on this call. But man, I, I've really worked hard to let go and let God, and that has been from the second that this job opened up. You know, I tried to did I really want to leave ABCA? Did I? And I just had to step back and go, man, if God's going to open this door, it's going to happen, and and I, there's nothing I can do to to want it, wish it, you know, pray it's going to happen because it's his favor. And it's no different than when you get to the championship game. To me, it's, this has already been written. You know, this was written way before I even interviewed for this job. That to me was the piece that I had walking into even that final game. If it was written, then all he's going to do is literally open up another page and show us, hey, the story reads that GGC wins its first national championship. And there's a lot of Trust that goes into that huge word in our program. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of faith. I, I, I told a friend of mine, "Hey, I knew the story was either going to be, hey, we we trusted the plan, and 
we won our last game or, hey, we trusted the plan and now we have a story to tell about getting that close to reaching your dreams. And I had to be okay with both of them. So there weren't any nerves walking into it. I think the, 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 the most, I guess, anxious that I was, was I really wanted to see our team play at the level I knew they could play it. I didn't feel like we won the World Series and we played our best game in any of those games. I felt like there were things we could have dialed in. We could have taken care of the baseball a little bit better. We could have been a little bit better coming out of the bullpen. We had a few at-bats that got away from us. And that's maybe that's that relentless attitude. But to me, it's just an insatiable drive to find the best version of us. And that was kind of my nerves. I really wanted us to finally play our best game. And there were elements of that, no doubt. But even late, and, and once again, I mean this in, in, with all due respect, even late, runners on base, tying run, whatever, I knew we were going to win that game. Uh, you could feel our team. There was so much trust and love coming out of our dugout. There was no way that the game wasn't going to tip in our favor. And we picked up every piece of trash around uh, Harris Field. I think we should probably get a tip in some way from the, uh, from the grounds crew there. Um, but we just did everything we could to let the game ultimately decide who it wanted to reward. And we just try to put ourselves in a position where it chose the Grizzlies. Coach, the season's over. You're national champions. Walk me through. You open the season. You play St. Thomas, powerful program. You open the season with an extra innings loss. Uh, you actually have one a tough loss on the year to West Virginia Tech. You mm. have the trip to Athens, Tennessee. It didn't go your way. What made you realize that this group is going to win it all? And when do you think that you realized and this team realized, hey, everything is out in front of us. We have everything looking forward to the rest of the way. This group can win the national title. Well, when we started the year, as I told you guys before we got going, I felt like it was the most talent that this program's ever had on paper. And and that's all it is. It's on paper. You still have to bring the team together and the team has to build its own identity and they have to take the reins at some point. You know, a team can only be coach-led to a certain point. And at some point, the players decide that they're going to lead it from within. And then at that point, the coach has to have enough, you know, hopefully savvier IQ to back away and let the team go where it's supposed to go so early on and and i'll be very as i am always with you guys very transparent you know i, I talked about process and i talked about trust the process and i i talked about we don't have to start the year you know 30 and 0 to believe that this team can win its last game we just got to keep working at getting better every single day well, that's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to believe it and live it. And I was certainly living by the win-loss record. I had defaulted a little bit back to where I was before I got out of coaching, and I just I just was you know consumed by our record and, and the loss to West Virginia Tech and those things that really took our knees out from under us and, and, and certainly did from my perspective. And I got a little further away from who I really needed to be for these guys and who I really wanted to be as a coach. And... Um, Long story short, man, I I think that played somewhat of a role. I also think we just had so many really good players that were really working to find out maybe who they are in, in some way. Like, who am I? Where do I fit in? What is my role? We felt, you know, conversations throughout the year were always back to roles. Everyone wants to be the star on a really good team, but there's only a few guys that can fill that role. And there's a lot of guys that work around those players. To, to make a complete team. And we were, we dealt with that. Uh, there was a point, you know, as you mentioned, there was a trip to, to Athens and honestly, in no other uh, uncertain terms, we got embarrassed. I mean, we, we came in timid and we got, we got shocked. And uh, 
the next day at practice, I think this was a turning point for us. The next day, we we decided not to bring our gloves to practice and just bring our track shoes. And uh, our team, you know, we got better at conditioning that day. But it was more about provoking conversation. And maybe for the first time, laying things out in a very direct way. And uh, I, I'm the first one to tell you I'll eat my words on this. After that game, I felt we were very soft. I felt this team had not grasped an identity of toughness. Uh, they were not holding themselves and each other accountable. They were not leading vocally within our dugout. And it forced our guys to step up in front of the group and, and sometimes teammates saying things to other teammates that they haven't said all year. And the only thing I can come back to is from the second we ended that practice, guys, the next game we played Middle Georgia at home, and we put up a football score. And then the next game, we put up another one. And then our pitching staff started to get this level of confidence that they were just going to hang, you know, low numbers and let our offense do what it was supposed to do. And you go back through, we won 22 of the last 23. That was a pivot point for us. Now, did anyone on the Tuesday we got embarrassed think that we could win the national championship? No doubt. We were on the van's back going, oh boy, it's going to be a quick regional, guys. Let's make sure we get our uniforms turned in and uh, put the baseballs back in the shed. And then that next day, it felt different. And then each game, it felt different. And there was just this confidence that was building. It was like rolling a snowball over a mountain and just watching it build day after day. Like I told you earlier, where I knew this team was different was when we lost to Hope in that regional. And I watched guys that were mainstays in this lineup, Cord Johnson, Nick Barnes, Livingston Morris. I heard them talk in ways I had not heard them talk before that moment. And it was basically a, a barrage of, we ain't losing. Don't let us get to Thursday. This team plays in Lewiston. This is what this program does. They spoke in ways that they hadn't spoken in two years of, of being on campus with them. And that's when I knew something was, something was happening. Something was different. The game was starting to maybe put us up against the wall, and now the best version of us was going to come out. And you see the results that came after that. And that's when I kind of knew something was something was brewing. But ultimately, again, it, it does, it comes back to the performance on the field. I told you this probably for the last five weeks, I called maybe five or six offensive plays. I didn't have to tell anybody to run. I have to, didn't have to tell anybody to bunt. I didn't have to tell anybody to to do anything other than be themselves, be be who you are, and then do what we do. And you just watch all that fall into place. And at some point as a coach, got to get the heck out of the way. I've had that on my offensive call sheet since I got here. Get out of their way. And as I've told our guys a thousand times, timing is everything as in baseball and in life. And there's a moment where a coach, you have to recognize they're going to do this. You know why? Because they want to do this. Not because we want it, because they want it. Because they are the most important. They are the rock stars. They're the guys with the ball in their hand. They're the guys hitting doubles and stealing bases they want to win their last game and you just have enough smarts to get out of the way sheets man we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join us here and and be with us it's not your first appearance on the podcast but it is your first appearance as a national champion on the podcast congratulations to you on on the season and uh, congratulations to everybody involved with ggc baseball from the alumni on down uh i know that that's a a program that has been so close every single year and has now finally gotten to the top of the pile has clawed their way up that mountain. And so congratulations to you on winning a national title. Congratulations on, you know, just 
the accomplishments for the past two seasons. Y'all were having a pretty good year prior to COVID in 2020 <laughs> as well. So, you know, uh, just just a great job this year. And, and thank you for taking some time out of the day to join us. I appreciate it. And, and as I've said before, I think this trophy has fingerprints of Everyone from Dr. Darren Wilson to Jared Woods to Cam Corsi to Koya uh, Vila to everyone in between that's wore the Grizzly jersey. And that, that to me is the, the coolest part is to do something for a young program in its ninth year. Um, and, and we've all been chasing it. We've all been chasing the same thing to really solidify ourselves uh, at the upper echelon of, of NEI baseball. And once again, it, it does not go without – recognizing Cody and Robbie, the role that you guys play in this. I mean, I think it's it, it's in, incredibly important to recognize of where we were three or four years ago, where there was nothing. And you guys decided you would shine a light on this very important level. And to the players and the coaches, this is our life. And you guys dedicate your time and your efforts to highlighting our level and the people within it. I, we're forever indebted to what you guys do at NAI Ball, and and uh, certainly we're huge fans of what you guys do. So thanks again for the support. Thank you for that. I, I know, Thank you so uh, much. yeah, we we appreciate that. Cody appreciates that, and it's it's one of those things where I, I feel like I could leave you and Cody in here for like the next six hours. This <laughs> the dude's excited, man, uh, Cody. I mean, I I don't mean to speak for you on that. <laughs> No, he's right. Robbie was like, do you have any more questions? And I'm like, yes, but we should probably wrap up anyway. <laughs> it, was, like, it was like, yeah, I, I could go all day, but yeah. <laughs> so, appreciate you guys. Thanks for having us on. We really do appreciate that. So, Cody, a huge thank you to the head man at Georgia Gwinnett, Coach Sheets. I'm not even going to try anymore. <laughs> with the, the, I can never get his last name correct, and that's on me. It is Sheetinger. But uh, just what a season for those guys. I honestly think that's why he goes by sheets. I mean, it's just, it's easier. And I think we should just start calling him sheets. He, I think that's he what said, you know, before we started the interview, he, you know, he had said that he, you know, we wanted to get some of the craziest variations on his last name. He said some ones where I'm like, how do you even make that mistake? Like I can understand the G and the J, you know, but some of those variations he was telling us just were like breathtakingly horrid. Yeah, I mean, they really are. But if you just go to any Starbucks in the country, you can see people butcher names all day. Or if you listen <laughs> to this podcast, like I'm from Georgia, you're from Texas. Like some of these names I don't know as well as you. And like, so um, I apologize to Hunter Clucky for hiding South. I've called that kid <laughs> Hunter Cloak the last two years. Well, someone would have shot me a heads up. That would have been cool. But, uh, you know, that, and, but that's the cool thing, man, is that, you know, the pod, podcasts are informal settings. Like if we were doing play-by-play, we would be so buttoned up. I and I mean, we would have like we would go into every single game with like a, a binder. Uh, we would know what they had in fifth grade on May twelfth for lunch. So you know, it, it would be just so buttoned up. But that's the thing I love about the podcast setting is it is informal and, and we can just be here and it's just you and I talking to the people at home one on one. Absolutely. And shout out to Denny Grubb for all the stats he gave us. When you talked about fifth grade lunches, I'm like, Denny Grubb would know that. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Denny Grubb, formerly of the Lewis and Tribune. He still is the official scorer of the NI World Series, scored every game this year as well. Uh, he told me at the beginning of the year, he's like, oh, I'm taking the year off. And then I talked to him right before the series. He's like, yeah, I guess they couldn't find anybody else for the job. So good to see, he, good to see he's back doing the scoring. But uh, yeah, that, that ball is roped. So, but I had no yeah. <laughs> Can you tell we're watching baseball also as we are most nights when we do the NAI ball podcast? Cody, are you ready to get into the most important part of the year here? Uh, our awards list? Yes, I am. <laughs> 
Let's do this. So the way that these awards will go, folks, is we are going to name our freshman of the year, our reliever of the year, and our assistant of the year. One, two, and three. Those are going to be the first three awards that we will go over. We will name a coach of the year and then a pitcher of the year. And finally, our player of the year, which is given to our best two-way player, or excuse me, our best offensive player as well as defensive, a guy playing a position in the infield, outfield, behind the plate. And then, Cody, we will go to our all-NAI ball team. But let's kick things off with our Freshman of the Year award. Pause for dramatic effect. The NAI ball Freshman of the Year is given to Carson Ford out of Tennessee Wesleyan. Congratulations to Carson Ford on being named Freshman of the Year. Cody, we had so many submissions for this award, but we definitely felt like Carson Ford was the guy who deserved it. Yeah, absolutely. Really impressed with the amount of freshmen this year. I don't know if it's because of COVID or not, but it seems like a ton of freshmen stepped up this year. A lot of guys that were worthy. But Carson Ford, right out of the gate, just a monster season. He hits two hole for the Tennessee Wesleyan Bulldogs as outfielder. He hit 342 this year, 76 runs scored. That's top 10 nationally, but 22 bombs from the lefty. Carson Ford, if you look at him, not the biggest guy. 72 RBIs this year, 22 home runs is top 10, the 76 runs, top 10 nationally, not for freshmen, but for everybody, top 10 nationally. I just thought he was sensational. You talk about the 22 home runs, 70 runs scored plus, 70 runs driven in with RBIs. I just think he deserved it. He was an incredible player for them. He also went a perfect 15 for 15 on stolen bases. He was just a catalyst. I thought he was really good in the field. I got to see him his first game against Gwinnett. He hit a home run against GGC in Lawrenceville. I was like, man, this guy's a nice swing for a lefty. And yeah, just really impressive player that's going to potentially a star of the future in the NAI. He definitely is. I mean, absolutely special talent. Absolutely special to come out here and do what he did. 64 hits, 22 long balls, 72 RBIs, six doubles, five triples, man. And that's a guy that Billy Berry's going to want to keep around for, for quite a long time. Cody, let's talk our next award. It is our first ever just like freshman of the year was our first ever. It is our first ever NAI ball reliever of the year award. And Cody, I think this one was clear cut on who was the winner here. So congratulations to Point Park University's Ruben Ramirez on winning this award. Cody, he was absolutely electric this season out of the pen. Ruben Ramirez was absolutely special. I don't know if there was undisputed winner of an award for us. Like He was a clear cut number one the best reliever in NAI baseball this season. I don't think it was even close. The amount of work he did, I mean, he has the one two five ERA right now, so he pitched 79 innings, yes, as a reliever. 33 appearances this season, yes, 33, all out of the pin, one two five ERA in 79 innings. That ERA was sub-1 the entire season, really until the opening round. He was sub-1 the entire way. He got stretched a little in the opening round because why wouldn't you? I mean, if you have that weapon, he pitched in four of their five opening round games. Uh, pretty much carried his team to Lewiston almost. They were a game away. Really impressive stuff from him. 118 strikeouts out of the reliever role. Batters only hit 194 off of them. So you're getting sub 200 batting average against the 125 ERA. 118 Ks. You know he's punching out people. I mean, they're really the walk to strikeout ratio, 118 to 19. Incredible stuff. I just think he put together one of the best seasons as a reliever we have seen. I mean, just we've seen in general eight wins on the season, 10 saves. Uh, just really, really special, Robbie. Yeah, no, it is. And and I know somebody out there is going to go, well, you know what? He didn't lead the nation in saves. The dude threw 79 in the third innings, like you said, 
in 33 appearances with zero starts. What more do you want? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, 100%. I think at the major league level where every game is fairly close, you could use that. But I think at the NAI level, sometimes these teams win games by six, seven runs, you know? So I definitely don't think save should be the be all end all. I think you should just look at the quality of work. For one, I, don't, I haven't double checked this, but I feel fairly confident. No one has came out of the pin more than Ruben Ramirez. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I would say that that's pretty they, easy. They played 56 games and he pitched in 33 of them. I mean, how special is that? You know, you're talking about a guy that, that had a special year, but more importantly, you said something very prevalent. Nobody won an award going away more than Ruben Ramirez. I mean, there was there was literally no conversation on this. Both of you and I looked at each other. Ruben Ramirez, moving on. Like he locked this thing down in April. I mean, this his ability to get strikeouts looking uncanny. I don't know what it is, but people don't swing. Is he has this epic like celebration he does where he'll strike out and he'll just turn turn back and like walk back towards the infield, like talk to his shortstop or something because he gets you looking a lot, man. He's special, just a really impressive player. Yeah, no, he is, and and just clear cut winner of this award. So congratulations to Point Parks. Ruben Ramirez on winning our NAI Ball Reliever of the Year award. So two awards, Cody, for the first time ever. Freshman of the Year going to Carson Ford from Tennessee Wesleyan, and then Reliever of the Year going to Ruben Ramirez at a Point Park. Another first-time award, Cody, that we have a winner of is Assistant Coach of the Year. And this one, we really made people kind of work for it. (laughs) We made them turn in reasons why. This was the Assistant of the Year Award. And I think, Cody, I think we picked a good one here. Yeah, I believe so. I really think we did. I think that there were so many assistant coaches really worthy. Honestly, I really want to thank everyone that submitted a name. The feedback and interaction we get with the teams across the country is incredible. Everyone was worthy. We didn't just skip over anyone. I do want people to know that because there was a ton of submissions for this. And that's what we love. Honestly, we love the interaction we get with the eyeball is because, you know, we, the people want to be recognized. And I think this year, this was the toughest award to give. I think you can say that, right? Because, yeah. you know, you can look at it and just go, oh, do we give it to the assistant on the national championship team? Or do we give it to an assistant that's recruited the best? Do we give it to the assistant that keeps everyone in line, make sure everyone's doing good with the COVID guidelines? Like there was just a lot of different ways we could have went about this. And I, I do feel really good with our selection. There were so many instances of assistants stepping up at Weber International, at Huntington, at Oklahoma City to do jobs that, you know, are usually assigned to head coaches who, for one reason or another, could not be the head coach at that time. There were so many examples of that throughout the nation. And we just want to give credit to those three programs and their their assistants for what they did and stepping up in the way that they did. But when it comes to who we chose for assistant coach of the year. Cody, we went with a guy who has helped turn a program around, a program that does not have, it's not a blue chip. And maybe they'll get there. You know, they're trending in the right direction because they've been relevant the last couple of years. But it's a program that had not been relevant before that. And it's a program that is getting to that point and it's because of recruiting. It is because of the job that they are doing is going to win this award. And so we want to give a congratulations to Central Methodist University assistant coach Rob Ellers on winning our assistant of the year award and a quick quote from his head baseball coach, Nate Breland, who says Rob's a grinder still believes in long hours. Hard work leads to signing studs. He is the glue that holds the puzzle together. Feels that this is the most worthy guy in the country 
of taking home this award and getting this recognition. What makes him so good is that he's never content. And I think that, you know, the job that he's done recruiting wise and the job that he's done, you know, as well as getting this team to where it's at along with Nate Breland is, is super special and it deserves recognition. 100%. Because speaking with the head coach, when we talked to Coach Breland, he told us, he was like, hey, Rob's the guy that does our recruiting. He's an incredible recruiter. He's the recruiting coordinator. He's the academic liaison. He's a defensive coach for this program. And like you go through and you look at the All-American players that they had on this team before this year. I mean, Mason Schwalbach was an All-American. Sergio Macias was an All-American. Kenny uh, Otero. Yeah, Kenny Otero, Logan Heron a couple of years ago. I looked it up. I forgot about it when I was going on spaces the other day. Logan Heron was also an All-American a couple of years ago. So many players, high-quality players. And if you ask Coach Breland, like he said, to a community with 1,200 people, no stoplights in the town. They don't even have a stoplight. And to bring them all together and make the national run that they did, they looked apart. I mean, they really, really, really looked apart of a national runner-up. They looked apart of an elite NAIA baseball team. And when you talk to Coach Breland, he'll tell you that without Coach Ehlers and Coach Rob doing what he did, they wouldn't be in the position that they're in. And I just think his recruiting ability, like the ability he did recruiting to put this team together, that is a very special 2021 team. You add in guys like Nick Merkel, who we mentioned earlier, and then to just do it to what he did to recruit it to, like you said, to Central Methodist. He's not recruiting to a blue blood like Tennessee Wesleyan or like a Southeastern. He's recruiting to Central Methodist, a program that has won a lot of games that has been to the opening round, but they've never been to Lewiston before. He's selling them that, hey, if we can get y'all together, we're going to get out here. We're going to put a team together that we're going to go do some damage in Lewiston. And that's exactly what he did. And I think he's put this team together over years. He's done a really good job there for a long time. And I think it paid off for not only himself with this award, but for his program to finish as a national runner-up, to be on the map, and to who I think will turn into a blue blood. And I think a lot of that has to do with Coach Rob Ellers. I definitely agree. And, and recruiting in the NAI is hard because you have some schools that are like Central Methodist that are in the middle of, of small towns, you know, that are in the Midwest where you're trying to get people to go. We don't consider Missouri the North, but they consider themselves, you know, a Northern school because of how cold it is. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so it's one of those things that uh, the job is, is hard. Recruiting at this level is hard because you have to find the dudes. But, you know, as somebody who's done it and lived in West Palm Beach and did it, it was like, hey, look at what everything we have and how close we are to the beach. And here's City Place and here's Clematis Street. And, you know, this is going to be your life. And for the job that Rob has done to be able to do that at Central Methodist and create help create the dudes that are laying the foundation for that program. This team is just the start. I think, I I hope people realize that is this team. And yes, they're going to lose some dudes and yes, they have a lot of seniors, but I really feel like this team is just the start and is laying the foundation for what's coming for central Methodist. Cody, let's move on to the three awards where we will tell you who the finalists were in this one. And let's start it off with our first ever coach of the year award. The finalists, are Ryan Dupic from Concordia, Nebraska, Ben Real, Indiana Southeast, Jeremy Sheetinger, Georgia Gwinnett, Brad Neffendorf, LSU Shreveport, Nate Breland, Central Methodist. The winner of the NAI Ball Coach of the Year Award is Ben Real, Indiana Southeast. And Cody, this is simply 
an incredible job that he's done at this program with one scholarship. And I think that's the thing that stands out to us most is the fact that he has one scholarship and the path that he got to Lewiston was the toughest, you know, um, as far as who he had to go through. He had to beat Tennessee Wesleyan, defeated Tennessee Wesleyan, was able to get through Tennessee Wesleyan and go on and get into the World Series and not just get into the World Series, but be competitive in the World Series, winning two games and making sure that his team got to stay in Lewiston for as long as they could. And so it's for those reasons, the fact of what he has to go up against, going two and two in the World Series, beating Tennessee Wesleyan, sweeping that opening round tournament, and then what he had to go up against. One scholarship. I'll never forget being in Lewiston and thinking, how the heck did we get here with four and a half scholarships in 2013? And can you imagine getting there with one scholarship? It's, it's, it's incredible. It's a feat. And so for those reasons, we feel that we had made the correct choice here in giving this to Ben Real. Absolutely so. And to just kind of continue on of some of the struggles he's went through, for one, like you said, he got the draw in the opening round. Nobody wanted. Literally nobody wanted Tennessee Wesleyan. Ben Real didn't want Tennessee Wesleyan. If he's being honest with you, nobody wanted that. Nobody wants like, hey, let's go to Kingsport. Yeah, no one wants that. He did it. He went out there. This is a team that got swept by Tennessee Wesleyan earlier in the year. Played one really close game, lost by a run. Actually had a guy thrown out of the plate. Uh, I ended up watching that game earlier in the season. And then they got beat down a couple of times, lost by 16, lost by 10, whatever. That happens with everybody against that program. And then he comes back, goes out there, gets his kids right, and they and they win. And they win the opening round. They take down the number one team of the country. They do it twice on back-to-back days. I just think that it was an incredible job. And one thing that really stood out for me, he did it without his best player and Matt Monahan who, due to some health issues, did not play the entire postseason. Matt Monahan's a guy that hit 430 with 14 home runs without playing a single postseason game. And then went to the World Series and did it without his best pitcher, and Hunter Clucky, the ace. Clucky, the ace, who pitched in Cape Cod. So you lose your best hitter, Matt Monahan. You lose your best pitcher, Hunter Clucky, who's their bona fide ace. I mean, he managed that. And he still, like you said, he still won two games out in Lewiston. Without And they potentially would have won a third if he didn't face Frias. I mean, Faulkner had to bring in Frias, which pretty much eliminated them the next day just to beat IUS. They had to. They were like, look, we have no one left for Gwinnett tomorrow. We're going to lose. But if we don't bring in Frias right now, we're going to lose to this IUS team. Because that's how constantly they were battling. didn't matter what the score was. And I just think Ben Rill's done a phenomenal job. Like you said, he had one scholarship. I'll, I'm going to go on a limb and imagine that scholarship probably went to Clucky or Monahan, let's be honest, one of those guys, possibly Clay Weesey, we don't know, but just it's a fantastic job he did to just run through what he did. Like you said, you lose Monahan, you find this out before the conference tournament. Hey, you're three hole, your best hitter, he's not going to be with you the rest of the way. Like, all right, well, crap. All right. Well, then you get out there, you go to Lewison. Oh, by the way, your ace, Hunter Plucky, not going to be able to be with you for this tournament. And then to go out there and still win two games, to win 50 games this season, I think he's done an incredible job. I think, like you said, we could go to the national champion route. I think Jeremy Schiedinger did an outstanding job this year. I think all the coaches on our list did an outstanding job. But you talk about and to win 50 games, to go through the number one seed, the team that everyone crowned, including us, everyone crowned the national champion in April. Uh, yeah, I mean, the job speaks for itself. Well done.
Hundred percent agree. I mean, there there are so many deserving candidates on this list. Jeremy Sheinger winning the national title. Uh, you know, Ryan Dupick and his incredible story and what he's gone through in that program, what that program has gone through. Just so many. Brad Neffendorf and what everything that LSUS has had to go through in the postseason to get to where they were. Uh, and then Nate Breland, you know, and in, in turning that program around, just absolutely fantastic. But Ben Real winning the award. Congratulations to him. And I just, both of us believe he is the most deserving man of that. And just all of the things that that program goes through on a daily basis. So congratulations to Ben Real. Cody, moving on to our starting, or excuse me, our pitcher of the year. Not just starting pitcher eligible for this award, but our pitcher of the year award. Here are the finalists. Antonio Frias, Faulkner, Pablo Arevalo, Kaiser, Corey Jackson, Bellevue. Nick Merkel, Central Methodist, Colton Williams, Science and Arts, Jake Foskett, Concordia, Mason Schwellenbach, Central Methodist. I think this is one of the awards that is going to be interesting in how it is received. <laughs> yeah, Would yeah you- I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. This is one of the more, let's be honest, the two hardest awards for us to pick out of the entire thing we've done is Pitcher and Player of the Year, and even Pitcher was the hardest because – I don't know if we're supposed to say this. Can I say this? We really we narrowed it down to two really good guys. We're not going to say the second one, so you'll always have to wonder. But we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. We stand firm in our decision, and we 100% believe it to be the National Pitcher of the Year in 2021. We are 100% in agreement in this, and we went back and forth on that is an understatement. And I don't think people at home realize how much Cody and I will disagree on things and I don't think people realize all what goes into these awards. When you look at Pitcher of the Year award, and I'm going to go over this, Cody, before we we get into this, we look at K per nine, walk per nine, uh, total batter's face, whip, fielding independent pitching. I mean, we look at all of that. Uh, When it comes to Hitter of the Year award, we go deeper into it as well. We look at not just total bases, but we do the OPS for every single player. We do runs created for every single player. We do BABIP for every single player, uh, which is batting average on balls in play. And we do uh, isolated power metric for every single player. So the homework is done here. This isn't just off their regular stats. This isn't talking to anybody. This is Cody and I going through it, looking at competition, looking at who they played, what their best game was, what their worst game was. And so with that, the winner of the NAI Ball Pitcher of the Year Award is Pablo Arevalo, Kaiser University. Pablo Arevalo had a 10-3 and record, Cody, with a 1-5-0 ERA in 19 games pitched, 17 starts. He had 10 complete games, four shutouts. Those were led everybody on this list. I mean, 10 complete games led the next closest guy by three. Four shutouts led the next closest guy had three as well. Uh, 126 innings pitched, 23 earned runs, seven walks. 118 strikeouts. He averaged less than 0.25 walk per nine. An opponent average in, you know, a little bit higher than than what you would expect, but it was 211. But the fact that his whip still, his walks and hits per inning pitch was still 0.84 and a fielding, an FIP of 1.834, which was the, the lowest on this list as well, Cody. I mean, this was just a guy that we felt deserved this. Pablo Arevalo was sensational. I want to say he won our first pitcher of the week, too, back, way back when. 
I mean, absolutely a stud. Can't say enough about him. How many times do you see a pitcher lead the nation in innings pitched and lead the nation in walks per nine? Uh, not very often. Like you said, 126 innings, seven walks. I don't know that I've ever seen that at the collegiate level, uh, regardless what level of baseball it is. Seven walks and 126 innings with our umpires. I mean, I mean, you just—I mean, you can throw—you can throw strikes and get walks, man. I mean, the fact that he with different umpires across the board, well done. But just to talk about the stretch he was on in the postseason, I mean, he ran 32 straight innings without giving up a run, not earned run, not where some of these you know like they call errors where it probably shouldn't have been an error. No, he didn't give up a run for 32 innings. Now that streak got snapped in Lewiston when he went nine innings to go up three. I give up three shot home runs in Lewiston where the ball flies there. He pitched in the early game, especially during the day the ball's going to fly. But absolutely sensational. He went 11 scoreless in the opening round. Conference tournament, he went nine scoreless. But that run he went on where he closed the deal, man, 32 straight innings without giving up a run. I don't know that we'll see that again in the postseason. Right. And, and, you know, just the level of competition between him and our other finalists were, were very similar. They play in both written top three conferences in the nation. Uh, you know, Arevalo had one loss this season, Cody, where he threw 10 innings. He threw 10 innings and his offense just couldn't come through and, and help him out. And in that game, he didn't even get the earned run. He lost one nothing. The earned run wasn't his fault, it was via errors. You know, he, he was just incredible this year. He was incredible this year. And to do what he did, seven walks in 126 innings pitch, to be able to keep hitters off of base, to work out of jams. And this is not a guy, Cody, that we're talking about like, oh, he's just got really good command. He's like 84 to 86. Like, no, this dude is still 87 to 90 and getting it done and manipulates his breaking ball. And when I spoke to a coach, for them. He talked about him as like Sergio Romo type guy where he's just same body type, you know, probably throws a little bit harder than what Romo does now, but just manipulates the breaking ball. And at this level, Cody, there are very few guys that you can see that can throw three to four pitches on command for a strike whenever they want. And, and he's definitely one of them. His worst start of the season, and like we're not kidding, I'm not exaggerating. His worst start of the season this year, seven innings, four earned on the road at Southeastern. I mean, playing in that tiny park against their lineup, that was his worst start. And he gave up two of those runs literally in his last inning. I remember it was a two-run home run. But Pablo Revelo this year has been nails. I mean, you were getting a quality start every single outing. Every other start he had was sub-three earned runs. Uh, he went nine innings six times. You're thinking, oh, he had 10 complete games. Like, oh, he went seven. No, he plays in the Sun Conference, fellas. He went nine six times this season uh, to do what he did. He in like, oh, he doesn't have the strikeout stuff. Well, at times he did. He struck out 14 against Oklahoma City. You know what I mean? He struck out 11 against Buford. He struck out 10 against Ave Maria. So he could punch you out if he needed to. Uh, he carried a swagger unlike any other pitcher I saw in the tournament, whether it was against Oklahoma City in New Orleans or uh, against uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan out in Lewiston. He just he has a swagger about him. He knows he's good. I love it. I love pitchers like that. You know what I mean? Tip of the cap to him. He's incredible. His bow, he took a bow. Do you remember that? Yeah. And he took a bow after his performance. I love stuff like that, man. It fires me up. I'm all about letting the players play. And no, I mean, you're going to go out there and you're going to throw 11 innings in an opening round and not give up a run. You deserve a bow. You deserve a round of applause. 
And, uh, and quite frankly, at the end of the year, you deserve our pitcher of the year. His numbers were the best. You go 126 innings, you got a sub 1.5 ERA, you walked seven people. I mean, you're just getting it done, man. 125 innings, didn't give up 100 hits this season. He's hard to hit. And like you said, his ability, whereas like a guy like Frias is going to strike you out, Pablo is going to jam you. Like you're going to get weak contact. You're going to roll over to second base. Like his ability to just limit damage the entire season was special. I do have a quick quote from Blake Kangas over at Kaiser where he says that he's never seen a more impactful player in his 14 years as a coach to a team than Pablo Arevalo, a special player in this day and age that can have that four-pitch mix and pound the zone at will. The numbers will speak for themselves, and what he thinks is most impressive is the way he, he's embraced each moment, controlled the game at his own pace, never backs down, and he just pitched with confidence in each start. He mentions that he's a great teammate that made everyone around him better, that he's very deserving of being the National Pitcher of the Year, and he is very happy he was part of their baseball program. So congratulations to all of our finalists, and congratulations to our winner, Pablo Arevalo. Cody, one final award before we get into all NAI ball teams. It is the Player of the Year Award, and this one also was one that you and I went back and forth on for a while. So let's get into the finalists here for Player of the Year Luis Vargas, Waylon Baptist, Griffin Keller, Georgia Gwinnett, Cody Muncie, Oklahoma Wesleyan, Brian Leaf, University of the Cumberlands, Brock Eifen, LC State, Sergio Macias, Central Methodist, and Gary Mattis, Tennessee Wesleyan. Cody, uh, I know you've already given a little bit uh, of talk on the finalists here, but this is a great group of, of players. 100%. It's a group of All-Americans for sure. It's a group of the best of the best in the NAIA, and it was hard picking one player to stand out when you all have terrific seasons. So with that, our player of the year for NAI Ball 2021 is Cody Muncie, Oklahoma Wesleyan. And what his coach had to say about him was Cody had a phenomenal year. This is from Kirk Kelly. He's the guy that got all of our offense going. He was steady from day one all the way through, and that's what makes him so good. He never gets caught up in the ups and the downs of hitting. He just gets it done. Cody Muncy, Cody, hit 465 this season with in 217 at-bats, 101 hits, 73 runs, 23 doubles, 27 home runs, 94 RBIs, a 565 on base percentage, which was actually the highest of this entire group. 205 total bases was the highest of this entire group. Slugging percentage of 945. OPS of 154. Created 113 runs for Oklahoma Wesleyan, and that was the highest of this entire group. A BABIP of 514 and an ISO of 480. I mean, just this guy was absolutely special this year. And just an absolutely unreal hitter. Number one in the country in total bases. Number one in the country in RBIs. Finished number two in the country in hits. He was two hits shy of being the leader. Uh, still number two. Top five in home runs also. Top five in slugging. Top five in doubles. Top five in batting average. I mean, he was the premier hitter in NAI baseball this season. This is a guy that made our all-NAI ball team last year. He was our all-NAI ball DH and first team. And this year, he played a lot of first base. Like he play, I feel like that can't go overstated. People see Cody Bunsen like, oh, he's a DH. No, he's not. Check him out. He actually played first base in all their postseason games. He played pretty well over there at first. And his bat, to go out there, Hunter Dolander won the World Series MVP. Cody Muncy in the first inning took him 400 to center field out in Lewiston. I mean, Cody Muncy 
big league hitter. He went four for five in that opening round title game. Uh, just can't speak enough for how good of a hitter he is. I think he's earned it and he deserves it. You know, 465 finishes third on this list in average, but he led the list in so many different categories. And I think when it comes, you know, I love the runs created metric just because it gives you a real look at how valuable that player is to his team. And when you look at runs created for this list, he was not the only player that created 100-plus runs for his team. He was one of two. But he was the player who created the most runs for his team. And Cody Muncy got that done all year long. And from day one to the end of the year, he was able to do that. It came down to two players and uh, for us. And at the end of the day, we felt that Cody Muncy was the deserving player. Uh, what he did was special throughout the season. And for that, he is awarded the NAI Ball 2021 Player of the Year Award. Congratulations to Cody Muncy. A really incredible player. Second year in a row, like you said, to hit north of 440. And for him to pack the punch offensively, he did with the 23 home runs. Uh, just really special. Excuse me, 27. 23 doubles, 27 home runs. Uh, just really special. Cody, man, are you ready to get into our all NAI Ball teams? Yes. Now, this is where the real controversy begins. Let's start <laughs> to kick it up. So. The way this works is we are going to put out two all-NAI ball teams. It'll have three starting pitchers, two relievers, one infielder for each position, a utility player, three outfielders, and a DH. We did add one position this year in utility. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into this. Cody, our starting rotation, the weekend guys for the all-NAI ball first team are Pablo Revelo, Kaiser. Antonio Frias, Faulkner, Nick Merkel, Central Methodist. The relievers for the All-NAI Ball first team are Ryan Munoz, Southeastern University, and Ruben Ramirez, Point Park. So behind the plate for this team is going to be none other than Joshuan Sandoval from MNU winning that award. And uh, you and I have had to deal with him before. This time last year, he was winning our show league, and now this year he's all in the eyeball catcher. 22 doubles, 21 home runs, uh, 79 RBIs to hit nearly 400, to hit 397. Uh, he was just incredible. So congratulations to uh, Josh Sandoval from Mid-American Nazarene on winning our all-NAI ball first team catcher, Cody. Our first baseman is also really good at the show. It's Nick Batari from Southeastern. But, yeah, he's another player, one of five in the country, 20 doubles, 20 home runs, uh, hit three home runs to end the year, three straight games to homer to end the year out in Lewiston. Nick Batari, absolute dude. The old man coming back, the national champion from 2018, uh, showing he still got the juice. There is no comeback player of the year award, but if there was, it would be Nick Batari. Our second baseman on the All-NAI ball first team is also from Southeastern University. It's Pedro Castellano. And well-deserving. I mean, Pedro Castellano, you got guys like Batari and Onstock getting on for him. And uh, Pedro Castellano, he reaped the rewards of that. To have as many RBIs as he did to finish top five in the country, uh, Pedro was absolutely special, and I think he was very deserving. Absolutely, and we will keep things in the Sun Conference with our all-NAI ball first team third baseman. It's Tim Bouchard from Kaiser University. Yeah, second year in a row, Tim Bouchard. He's our first repeat, and I, I don't think you can argue with it, right? Tim Bouchard absolutely money he was money out in lewiston as well and i just think that there was no question he was the best third baseman in the country whether it was offense whether it was defense 
the guy was special. You look at Tim Bouchard, hit 405 on the season, 16 doubles, 17 home runs, 74 RBIs. Just really incredible. Had six stolen bases, too, in case that's your kind of thing. But four, more walks than strikeouts, 45 walks, 37 strikeouts. Professional hitter, really good glove at defense. I mean, you saw what he did in Lewiston for them. Kaiser didn't have what they wanted, but he went out there, played three games, and he had two hits in all three of them. Had a home run in two of them, too. I want to say let's add it up, 5-7. Yeah, home run, seven RBIs out in Lewiston. Uh, without question, to me, he's the best third baseman in the NA. The shortstop is out of the Appalachian Athletic Conference, Cody, from Tennessee Wesleyan. It's Gary Mattis, Jr. Arguably the most electric player in NAI baseball. Just sensational. Hit north of 400. They have the 21 doubles, 25 home runs, 82 RBIs. I'm sitting there hitting out of that three hole for Tennessee Wesleyan. Just an elite player. Honestly, what a special talent he is. Another guy that's in that 2020 club. The utility player on this offense and in this infield, Cody, is a guy that I thought was a big snub uh, from another list that was put out there. This one is totally deserving of this, and it is from LSU Shreveport, Peyton Robertson. Let's be honest, that was kind of a snub because Peyton Robertson is deserving. An incredible player this year. 415 average, 16 doubles, five triples, eight home runs. He's got 61 RBIs. He led the team, and he's the leadoff hitter. He led the team as the leadoff guy. I mean, you see what he does on the base pass, 45 stolen bases. He led the NAI in steals. And to have eight home runs, a lot of them being in the postseason to kick off games. I mean, his opening round was special. He had three home runs where he led off home opening round games with a home run, like boom, right off the start. Uh, he's by far one of the best players in the country. Should have been left off. He had six straight multi-hit games there in the postseason. Uh, snapped on the final game against LC, but really good tournament. Uh, to me, it's a no question. He's one of the best infielders in the country. Our three outfielders, Cody, were all finalists for the National Player of the Year Award by NAI Ball. And it is Griffin Keller from Georgia Gwinnett, Brian Leaf from UC, and Luis Vargas from Wayland Baptist. I mean, we mentioned, we talked with Keller. Um, we talked about Keller with Coach Schiedinger earlier. Uh, just an incredible talent, incredible player, arguably the best GGC season I've ever seen, uh, the best in program history so far. Brian Leaf, we can go ahead and just begin and say it, right? Brian Leaf was our runner-up for National Player of the Year. He was sensational this season. Six straight games with a home run. He did everything he could to get his team out to Lewiston. 29 home runs, which is tied for first nationally. He hit 423 which to me was the big difference between his later couple of years. His average this year was well up there. He was really deserving of a National Player of the Year. He really was. 29 home runs, 81 RBIs. He had 19 doubles on a triple. So you're sitting there, a guy with 49 extra base hits. Uh, Brian Leaf, what can I say? Honestly, what a special season. And Luis Vargas, I mean, he is just, I mean, every year he just turns heads in this league. 20-plus home runs again. To just do what he did and do it in the limited bats. This is a guy that didn't make the national tournament and he still put up stupid numbers. Insane. I mean, yeah, to hit nearly four at 500. Uh, he's a guy that will single, single, home run, home run in his four at bats in a game. He's a really special player. And uh, if we don't get to see him again, he's a guy we're going to miss because he was quite the name in NAIA baseball. And then finally, Cody, our DH is also Cody. It's our national player of the year in Cody Muncie. Yeah, we've given the praise to Muncie that he deserves the 27 home runs to hit 470. Uh, just what a special player. What a special season. So, man, when you're ready, we will move on to the All-NAI Ball second team. Let's dive right into it. Let's get into it. Let's start off. It's the same 
positions and categories. Let's get going here with the starting pitching, the weekend rotation for the all NAI ball. Second team is going to be Colton Williams from Science and Arts, Mason Schwellenbach, Central Methodist, and Chris Wall from Columbia. Yeah, so you have the two elite premier left-handed pitchers in the NAI baseball, along with Frias, obviously on the first team, but uh, Colton Williams and Chris Wall, absolutely dominant. These are two guys that did not lose a game this year until their final starts of the season in that opening round, but stellar careers, guys that were really household names of NAI baseball the last couple of years. And then you have a guy, Mason Schwellenbach, who was sensational, tied for the NAI lead in wins, or 14 wins this season, just really good player, carved up Faulkner, pitched incredibly well that Monday night game against Faulkner, which, let's be honest, led to them being the national runner-up. Colton Williams, Chris Wall, Mission Swellenbach. I hate to call these guys second-teamers because they are premier pitchers. The drop-off from first-team to second-team on pitching is not large at all. It is it is minimal. At, and I feel like there are positions, like first base is stacked. I mean, we, we had such a hard time choosing first base, uh, choosing six pitchers, because starting pitching in first base is just stacked. Uh, as well as outfield, I think was was a lot of tough conversations for us. There yeah. are some positions that we're like, oh man, what are we going to do here? And then there are some positions where it's like, there's no way to choose because there's so many deserving people. Starting pitcher and first base, I think, lead the categories in that one. Cody relievers: Cruz McFadden from Mount Vernon Nazarene and Gareth Vathroder from University of the Cumberlands. Uh, Cruz McFadden was absolutely money this year. I thought he was fantastic. I mean, to have 11 saves, I mean, to be that just productive for Mount Vernon Nazarene, a team that kind of like snuck their way into the postseason, and he was a big part of it. He was shutting things down in the back end, pitched really well, mainly only out of the relief position, a true closer for them. Uh, to have 11 saves, obviously finished top two in the country. I thought he was really, really special. And for Vathroder, punched out 38 and in 21 innings. People only hit 200 off of him. 19 appearances all out of the bullpen, straight reliever. And uh, he was the back-end guy for a team that we thought was going to go to lose him. He was really good all season, and I think he's deserving. 100% agree. These guys are are deserving, absolutely deserving. Just so many guys on this list pitching-wise that could have gone that way. And, you know, when we jump into catching here, who's behind the plate for them, Cody? I think this one is, is a big one, and it's going to be Trevor Johnson from McPherson, who had a 423 average with 15 home runs and 67 RBIs. Yeah, Trevor Johnson was a guy who made our All-NAI ball team last year, was a, recognized by the NAI as a preseason All-American, and he delivered. I mean, he did everything they asked him to do. I believe he's an honorable mention for the other all, the NAI team. Absolutely sensational. Yeah, Sandoval had the best year this year, but Trevor Johnson, you look what he's done the last two years, and for him to hit for the average he does again this year and to hit the ball to the ballpark, because you can say, oh, yeah, McPherson, they all hit a ton of home runs, but he's just so consistent, and he's such a good hitter, man. The first baseman on this team out of Oklahoma City University is Dalton Reed, Cody. Yeah, Dalton Reed's a guy I felt like kind of got slept on because Oklahoma City didn't have the best season because his numbers were insane. He hit 417 this year with 24 home runs and 74 RBIs. I mean, 24 home runs, 74 RBIs with a plus 400 average. That's puts you in the player of the year conversation every single season. And I think he was special, man. They had the 14 doubles. A big home run off Colton Williams is obviously one of who we view as one of the best pitchers in the country. And I'll never forget that moment of Dalton Reed this year. It kind of is what stands out to me with him. The second baseman on this team out of Indiana Southeast is Clay Weesty Cody, who hit in 64 games this season, 374, 89 runs, 92 hits, 21 doubles, three triples, eight home runs, and 55 RBIs. 
And to go along with that, he stole 38 bases. I mean, 38 steals this year. He's the guy at the top of the orders, or leadoff man. He was the catalyst. And I think his production when Monahan went out, you mentioned earlier, no Matt Monahan, he really stepped it up. I mean, the 21 doubles, eight home runs. He had the home run out in Lewiston. He really was the guy that when he get on base, he's going to score some runs. 89 runs scored. Uh, we can't talk enough about that. I mean, that is literally first in the nation. He leads the nation in runs scored. Anytime he was on base, he was getting over, still in the base. And he was getting driven in by like a Marco Romero or a Tanksley. Yeah, we just felt he was deserving. This is a guy that also was not recognized by the NAI that we feel. When you look at the second baseman in the total package, whether it's defense, offense, his ability to get on base, what he meant to his team, because he meant, think about it, without Monaghan, man, he was a huge, huge, huge part of that team that beat Tennessee Wesleyan, that got out to Lewiston, and to do what he did out in Lewiston, uh, just really special. He had the three-hit game against Warner, had a couple hits against Tennessee Wesleyan, and then out in Lewiston, he had multi-hits in every single game, and we just felt he was deserving. Led the country in runs scored, third in the country in stolen bases. Yeah, to me, I just think it's a no-brainer. He's one of the best second basemen in the NAI. We move now to the third baseman on this team, Cody, and it's a guy that definitely deserves some recognition, and that is Aaron Saul from Mount Vernon Nazarene in Ohio, and he was absolutely fantastic this year for this club. Not only did they sneak into the tournament, they snuck two guys onto the All-NAI ball team, and they're both well-deserving. Aaron Saul, the Crossroads League Player of the Year, he hit 414 this season, 16 doubles, 12 home runs, 66 RBIs. Without Aaron Saul, this team does not make the national tournament. Can't say enough. I thought he was well-deserving. Cody, and what will be a first in this program for shortstop out of Hannibal LaGrange in Missouri, Jared Remspesher, who hit 461 this season, Cody. This dude was special for this club, and he deserves this recognition. He did not get this from anywhere else. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because it's who he played for or whatever. But one of the best players the entire season, when we first did our batting average stats graphic on Instagram, he was like number two. And you're like, oh, was he going to stay up there? It's a Hannibal LaGrange guy, number two in the country. Oh, this guy's like showing out. And he stayed up there the entire way. Finished top five in the country in batting average, 461 average. He hits three hole for them, plays shortstop, and he is well-deserving. You talk about one of the best offensive shortstops in the country, four hits in eight different games this year. And you have 19 doubles, three triples, 13 home runs, and you knock in 60-plus, you deserve to be recognized because that's a really special season. Absolutely agree. What a special year for that young man here. And now we move to utility. And from Central Methodist University, it's Sergio Macias. And if you want to know like how highly we think of this utility spot, Sergio Macias is a guy that you know we thought could win National Player of the Year. He was a finalist for us. To have the 20-plus doubles, 20-plus home runs, to lead the NAI or World Series, he had 11 hits. No one else had 11 hits in Lewiston. Cody, the three outfielders, Zach Hoigason from Tennessee Wesleyan, Michael Slayton from Benedictine, Kansas, and then Isaac Worslin from Oklahoma Wesleyan. You take the two you want, and I'll cover the third. All right, well, let's talk about Zach Hoigason. I think Hoigason, what a special talent he is. Uh, come over from Central Arizona, win a title in Juco, and to deliver the way he did – at the NAI level, 15 doubles, 22 home runs, 92 RBIs, second in the country, 92 RBIs, and this is the guy that didn't get to play in Lewiston. Uh, just a really special season for him. One of the biggest bats on one of the best teams in the country, and I think that Colgason was 100% deserving. The other guy I'll take, Isaac Worsling. Now, Worsling's a guy that did not get love from the NAI, but I felt 
How do you leave him off? He had 29 home runs. And the way we see it, we value Cody Muncy. We did so much digging for Cody Muncy that we actually really dug into Oklahoma Wesleyan's schedule that we realized their schedule is really good, man. People want to knock their schedule, but we dug into it. It is a better schedule than some of the other players we mentioned for finalists. And that's something that we learned when we dug into it. And you look at the schedule they played, how can we not credit the 29 home runs? Yeah, you can play all they play in Barrelsville is 355 to center, whatever. This guy was hitting less than half their games are at home. Less than half their games are at home. Three players in the country hit 29 home runs. One of them is Isaac Worsland. There's no way we were leaving him off this list. So that gives me Michael Slayton on this one who hit 386 this season. Uh, He is a superstar at this league. Another guy... Cody, that was that was really hard to leave off was Daryl Myers, who hit 447, uh, just at a position that's stacked. Uh, but Michael Slayton had 68 hits, 72 runs, 20 doubles, 20 home runs. Anytime you're a 20 double, 20 home run guy, you're gonna turn heads at this level. Uh, five triples, 71 RBIs, 158 total bases, led his team in total bases, and on top of that, 23 for 23 in stolen bases. He had a slugging percentage that led his team as well with 898 and had an on-base percentage of 440, uh, 477. Just a super special player that 100% deserves this recognition on this list. So that's Michael Slayton from Benedictine. Cody, the final position today is the designated hitter, and I think people are going to be surprised about this one, but we are in agreement and 100% that this guy deserves to be on this list. From Lewis Clark State, it's Brock Even. 100%. Because we could have went a bunch of different ways on this because they could have, we could have just picked the best hitter available. And we kind of honestly did that because I think Brock Even, I mean, if you just watch him in the World Series or you watch him in general, he is a feared hitter. We talked about it at the beginning of this show uh, when with Frias. They walked Brock Even to load the bases in a huge moment. They put the go ahead run at the plate. That's how much they respected uh, Brock Even at that time. When you look at the 18 home runs, 70-plus RBIs, uh, just 400-plus hitter, he's come a long way. This is a guy that's played in the World Series back in 2017. He's kind of got old man syndrome. He's a Hawaiian and island guy, kind of like Ashcon. I was drawing the connection with him and Ashcon because I guess they know each other. Those Hawaiian guys, man, they play to live forever, man, because Ashcon was an older guy too. But, yeah, Brock Ifon, terrific hitter. Uh, you could tell he's been around the game of baseball once or twice, would sit there and find the pitch he wants and crushes it, and he did that time and time again, and he was deserving. Yeah, we, we definitely feel that he is deserving, and that is our All-NAI Ball first team, our All-NAI Ball second team, all of our awards list. Congratulations to everybody who has been, you know, uh, won any of the awards, was selected to a team. Just what a year we've had. And Cody, I mean, I don't think – I'm not sure if people know what goes into all of this. I mean, this is – we are almost in hour number four of this process of of just recording today almost hour number four, even though the show will come out, it'll be an hour and a half or so. It's a little bit longer than we would like, but there's so much we want to say and go over it. The, these, these take a lot of time to do and to put out there and we don't do it for, we have a title sponsor that pays a certain fee at the beginning of the year and that's it. So we don't do this for, for money. We do this for the love and the admiration of the sport and this level and I just, you know, if you can give me some final thoughts on it before we sign off for the final time this season for an NAI ball podcast. Well, for one, like I love the amount of people that we asked for nominations last week and the amount of submissions we got were incredible. So if you didn't win, I don't want you to take that as in we got your message and we never took it seriously or we never looked into it. 
We did. The thing is, it's just so many different people were nominating that we had to pick the best of the best. And that's what we did. But I really think everyone that does nominate, that does interact with our account, it good like it's honestly impressive. There's never a time where you can message us too much. There's never too many questions. Like the amount of times people interact with us throughout the season is what makes this special. Because me and Robbie wouldn't do this if y'all didn't. So we really appreciate it. I mean, I can't say enough about it. We appreciate everyone nominating for the all and Ball team. I hate leaving guys off because there's guys that were deserving. I hate that. Like when we pick our national player of the year, we're picking between five first-team All-Americans. And I feel bad for the guys that don't win the player of the year because they, they deserve it too, man. There's so many different people that really deserve this thing. This is a big field. I mean, you got to realize there's 188 NAI baseball teams, 188 teams, and we're picking between who we feel is the best of the best. And, yeah, so I just want to thank everyone for interacting. Thank you for nominating. That makes our job a lot easier, and I really appreciate it. And, yeah, we love doing this. Like, we love NAI baseball. This is our hobby. This is our bread and butter. This is, like, our obsession, if you want to call it that, from January through June. It's kind of sad that this is it, man. This is it until January. But the time flies. Like, before we know it, it'll be January again. And uh, I'm just grateful we have this full season. I'm grateful I have you. I'm grateful for all the work you do with the podcast and just covering and being the face of the brand, being the ambassador. You are our Brett Favre, my NFL Hall of Famer. <laughs> and like without you, I wouldn't I wouldn't be anything. I am Matt Hasselback, the third string rookie quarterback, just hoping to get a letter from somebody. And you are Brett Favre and you make a really good team. So I appreciate it. <laughs> no, uh, you know <laughs> um for myself, we want to thank everybody out there. Um you know, it, it's hard to explain, Cody. I think what we do for fun, <laughs> you know, to people. Um, when I tell somebody, you know, and I, and I make a joke of it, and I tell somebody I'm I'm famous in Kansas, you know, or uh, I'm I'm not well liked in Idaho, or you know, just so many different things. And there are so many hours that go into this, and you know, Jackie is didn't didn't understand that and and for those of you who don't know jackie is my my other half uh but jackie didn't understand this cody until i took her to a game our lady of the lake versus central methodist and we got there a little bit late so you know we were the only two people in the stands and i got there a little bit late and we were sitting down which by the way she's uh, you'll agree she is a much better videographer than i am um, I was I was thinking that too. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was like, "Yes, that is our NAI Boston photographer." Yes, <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> much busy. She, she got like a line drive, a comebacker, a couple of home runs. I'm like, "How do you how do you do that?" She, like, she's she did really good. She started she with the basics, like you know, filming horizontally, but you know, just uh, yeah, <laughs> things that I don't well. do. Yeah, uh, you know, but but Jackie, I think she finally she didn't really get it until we went to that game, and Central Methodist player comes out of the dugout and. And gives me a hat and goes, Coach says that's for you. And, he, and then the guy turns around and goes, we just want to thank you for everything you do. And I'm like, thanks, guys. I appreciate y'all. And she was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> you know, because she thinks at the beginning, you know, it's easy for somebody who doesn't understand this sport to think we just talk baseball, you know, for a living. And what we do here is we give a, a niche audience you could say as, as somebody from when I worked at ESPN explained it, it said, it'll never grow. You're only playing to a niche audience. And what we're doing here is we're taking this niche audience that has never been respected 
that has never gotten any praise, that's not going to end up on ESPN, that's all doing all of these things, and we're giving you your platform. We're giving you your opportunity to, to get your 15 minutes of fame. We're giving you the opportunity to highlight yourself. And it's not us, it's you. Because at the end of the day, we just talk about you. We just post your video. We're just the talking heads. You're the guy that has to go out there and play it. The guy that fills out the lineup card. The guy that gets the sacrifice punt down. That steals the extra base. That turns a double into a triple. That turns a single into a double. That hits the ball over the fence. That's the hero for his team. And at the end of the day, as somebody who played in Dallas, you're not going to be in the Dallas Morning News. You might not be major in the newspaper the next day in the box score. But you are major here. And I talk about it all the time. Whereas this level for so many guys, as it was for myself, is the major leagues. And you 100% deserve to be treated that way the entire time. The entire time. Because whether you're the starter or the, the sixth guy out of the bullpen, you have your opportunity and you deserve to make the best of it. And our goal here is to make sure that you are highlighted and looked after and celebrated because you have continued your career. So many guys after high school are told, that's it. You have continued your career, and we will continue to fight for you. We will continue to highlight you, and we will continue to celebrate you. And at the end of the day, yes, we do a lot of harping, and it's not easy, and this job is time-consuming, and it's tough, but we do the harping because we want to see our sport continue to grow. Because now that we've done this for a few years, we see this sport has opportunities to be the best level subdivision one in the nation. And there are some things that we feel are moving further away from that. But at the end of the day, we are going to continue to fight for what we think will move the game into a better spot. And so from ourselves and from Cody and from Connor, if you're a senior or your career is ending or you're moving on to the next stage in life, Congratulations. Congratulations, because no matter what happens at the end of this, you are an NAI-made player, and nobody can ever take that away from you. And whether your experience was one of roses or it wasn't perfect, you're still that guy. You're still part of this alumni base, and you're still part of this association, and we welcome you to come back always with open arms. To the guys who we've built personal connections with, Colton Williams, Nick Batari, Peyton Robertson, that's just for me. To you three guys, thank you. Thank you for your friendship, for the constant text, the messaging, and for getting to know y'all on a deeper basis. For getting to know y'all further. And we invite everybody to do that. We're open. Our DMs are open. They are. To the guys that are not going to be able to play any more baseball. There is no pro baseball after this. Congratulations, guys. And you're always welcome here. You're always welcome here. So we are, we're excited that you were part of our family. We're excited to continue to grow our family by keeping you as part of it. And that's how we will continue to grow this brand and to grow this sport by keeping y'all invested in what is going on, not just at your respective school, but what is going on around the nation. So for myself, for Cody Butler, and for our intern, Connor Darnell. Thank you for being a part of our family. Cody, man, anything before we take off? Well, how the hell am I going to follow that? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, no, just, I agree completely. Uh, y'all are our superstars, man. They are the guys we look forward to. Like, we literally, like, when we see a Gary Mattis 
or a Luis Vargas or someone like that. We're like, wow, dude, these guys are legit. And, you know, to some people, they need the NCAA. To some people, they need professional. And that's why professional is so much bigger. They need the pros. For us, man, we just need the NAIA-made guys. And the NAIA baseball players, we look at you the same. We look at Antonio Frias like he's a Jacob DeGrom out here. Like, you know, we look at these guys, like, literally the same way. And that'll never change. And, yeah, we do some harping. Sometimes mom and dad gets mad at you, but we still love you. So we're, <laughs> well, and that'll never change. But, uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in this season. And we're ready to get right back at it in 2022. Absolutely. So for the final time, this will be the final NAI Ball podcast of the year. We do have some plans for some NAI maids this summer coming to you here soon. We'll tell you as the plans for that come out. But, guys, I mean, just thank you for all that you continue to do. The the great thing about this level is you've been through it and you can identify with the next guy, whether he went to science and arts or Mount Vernon Nazarene, you're both an AI made guys and you're gritty and you're tougher and you're just made better because of this level. And good luck to you seniors uh, as you go on into the, your next stage in life, whether it's baseball or life, no matter what happens, uh, we're always available to y'all for anything that, that we can do. So, Until next time, and that might be January 2022, we hope you have a great day and even better tomorrow. Stay safe, and as always, anything you need. I'm the host of the NAI Ball Podcast, Robbie Gutierrez, at RobG1063. And for intern, Connor Darnell, and of course, the foremost authority on NAI Baseball, Cody Butler, at NAI Ball, we will have everything for y'all throughout the summer, as well as into the fall for all of your new stat scores and information 24-7, 365 days a year at NAI Ball on Twitter and Instagram. We'll talk to you all soon. Have a great summer, y'all. Not too long to January.